Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Today is Monday, October, August 21st, 2017. We're coming to you live from the Hagman Studios, where you can hear us live on Global Star Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, as well as watch us live on YouTube. Now, today we have uh, audio only. We got a, a visual presentation we're going to bring you with the show today. So, so strap in. We got Peter Chowka coming up in the first hour, followed by Doc Marquis and John Robertson. But John is with me here. He's going to do the show with me. Uh, he's going to be here in the first hour with Peter Chowka and myself. John, we just uh, did the Daily Show a little bit ago. It's great to have you on, on this show. Well, thank you for having me, and, and greetings and God's blessings to everyone checking in with us here on this Monday, August 21st. I can't believe how fast the month is going by. And folks, as the title of the show indicates tonight, the mainstream media is the necropolis of lies. And between Peter Barry Chalka, myself, Doc Marquis, Joe Hagman, we're going to do our best to parse through what we're being told today about a number of different topics. Now, Joe, I know you wanted to start off with the uh, situation with the USS John McCain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a much bigger story, I believe, than is being reported now folks if you remember not too long ago the USS Fitzgerald was hit by a cargo ship in oh goodness where it is in the uh, Sea of Japan I believe in Japanese waters and there was a lot of mystery surrounding that accident well today the USS John McCain was struck in those same waters and as the mainstream media is not reporting many people are indicating for a number of good reasons, that the show came under the show, the ship came under electronic attack before it was struck. It's obvious by the by the uh, pattern on the ship that was hit, the John McCain, that this was not the ship was not moving when it was struck. Then a report came out that stated the electronical systems as well as the power steering were malfunctioning or had malfunctioned, leaving the ship. To what I believe was dead in the water. Now we're seeing reports the Navy halts Pacific Fleet operations, and I don't believe, I don't remember any time in history that this has happened before, and I do believe the Navy thinks something is going on. But to have two U.S. destroyers in just as many months struck, or maybe not as many months, I guess that Fitzgerald was in June, in this summer, the last three months, last two months, to have the, the ships, two Navy ships hit in the same area, the Asian, uh, Japan body of water, both ships were struck without, you know, bells and whistles going off, and both incidents left U.S. Navy personnel dead. That last count, there was 10 missing. I don't know if there's a new count, or even if they've found any of the soldiers or bodies, whatever the case may be. But definitely very uh, disturbing to think what could be going on. It makes you wonder, you know, what did Obama what did Clinton, what did these people, what kind of technology was sold under the last administration? 
we know, John, you, you mentioned this earlier, that there was a Russian, uh, there's an incident with a Russian plane in a U.S. ship where it disabled its communication systems. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe that's the case here. I believe that we're being electronically attacked while these ships are over there in the water and being rammed. If you go back and look at the the path of the container ship that struck the USS Fitzgerald, it's very, when we went over this before, but it's very suspicious because the ship got real close to the Fitzgerald about a half hour before the collision, then went back out into sea for a few miles, did a U-turn, and came right back in and smashed the ship before making another U-turn and going back on its chartered course. There's still a lot of questions about this wreck today, but I believe people inside the government, inside the Navy, are concerned, and I don't believe we're getting the full story from anybody. Well, Joe, if uh, folks care to, they can go to abcnews.go.com, and they've done a fine job uh, enumerating the four, I guess they're currently accidents, uh, that you suggested, the first dating all the way back to May 9th. Uh, this in the Sea of Japan, right near, uh, just east of the uh, South Korean portion of the Korean Peninsula. The USS Champlain collides with a fishing boat. That was May 9th. Uh, Pardon me, the first one was January 31st. The USS Antietam runs aground off Japan. Now, folks, that's on the opposite side of the the nation of Japan, on the east coast side. Uh, June 17th, as Joe mentioned, the USS Fitzgerald collides with a container ship. And then, of course, the reports from today, August 21st, the USS John McCain collides with a merchant ship. But and to rephrase those, these ships collided with the destroyers. It, correct. That's Yeah, and, that's, and so there's obviously more questions here than answers. But what Joe and I touched on earlier on the Hagman Daily Show, a couple of things to consider, folks. First off... Uh, the USS Donald Cook. Now, most of our listeners probably remember that in both 2014 and 2013, there were two separate incidents with the Donald Cook, and I believe the Donald Cook is in the same class destroyer as the Fitzgerald, where a single Russian aircraft was able to somehow disable the communications infrastructure of the Donald Cook to the point where uh, a number of uh, naval personnel, a couple of officers and about 15 enlisted personnel quit at the next po- They quit the U.S. Navy <laughs> at the next port of call, which I believe was in Romania. Again, folks, the USS Donald Cook in 2013 and 2014. But another thing that we're going to be keeping an eye on here at the Hagman Report is uh, what's going on at this particular base that Yokoshuka. Yes, that these vessels are... Uh, departing from prior to these accidents. And we're just going to do a little investigative research, see if there are any contractors, be they military or civilian, particularly suppliers or uh, companies that maintain the navigation systems or the communication systems. And folks, I'd like to encourage uh, all of our naval veterans to reach out to us. You can hit us up at studio at hagmanandhagman.com. Remember, two ends on Hagman and spell out the word and. But send us an email if you've got some expertise, uh, some opinions, uh, and help us out, especially our, our naval veterans. Absolutely. Now, tonight, folks, we have with us Peter Chowka. He is the, the writer for American Thinker, also an author, as well as writer and contributor for Hagman Report. And he is he was with us on The Daily Show. He was our first guest on The Daily Show last Friday. 
And folks, if you haven't heard about our new shows, check them out. The Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m. every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, on Global Star Channel 3, as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Also, podcasts are available for archive, as well as the Hagman Daily Show from 2 to 3 p.m. each day, Monday through Friday. Uh, same as the Hagman Daily Show, or the Doug Hagman Show, with the archives and the channels, Global Star Channel 3, as well as Blog Talk. And we want to encourage each and every one of you guys to, to tune in and listen to those shows and offer some feedback if you have any. Without any more, uh, Peter, it's great to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's good to be with you and John today. It's great to have you. Uh, we uh, we just talked last Friday, as I just said, on, on the Hagman Daily Show. We had a great interview. Uh, I know you have some things you want to talk about as far as Fox News, what's going on there inside and outside what's being reported and what's not being reported and peter do you have any thoughts on on this latest latest navy uh, incident with the uss john mccain well you know i was listening intently to your uh, discussion of it with john at the start of the show today and uh, i actually don't because i haven't had a chance to really look into it although what i was picking up from your discussion is how complicated the world is that we're living in now and you know we rely on the mainstream news media that's where we heard about the reports of the uh, the naval accident but then you dig down into the layers and later on maybe you get closer to the truth those initial reports usually are not too reliable even if they're well intentioned on the part of the reporters close to the scene but you know, it just suggests again that we really don't have a clue what's going on, especially in these far corners of the world where our troops, our, our naval forces, our spies are spread out all over the place. And, uh, which suggests again that it's really more than a full-time job to try to keep up with all of the news that's happening and really get to the bottom of it so that it makes sense. No, you're absolutely right, and you know the, this is um, th- there seems to be some kind of pattern here with the uh, navy ships being attacked, being sitting dead in the water in the same area, same seas, used by the same ports, and then to have you know this second, just this summer since June, the second deadly encounter they, they're calling it an accident. I don't believe it was an accident. Is very concerning, and to the point where they shut down the whole Pacific. Uh, fleet command that's a little alarming they're going to suspend any uh, ongoing missions or operations for 24 hours and do a massive review and even general mattis had called for an investigation into the after the after the mccain incident today called for an investigation into all the latest naval accidents that have happened i don't know if it if there is a threat if there was electronic attacks that led to this attack, either on purpose or not, that we would, in the, as the public, ever hear the truth from the Navy. But that's still right. Well, you, you, that. know, you probably heard, Joe, that uh, speaking of electronic attacks, it's been in the news briefly that in uh, at the United States Embassy in Havana, Cuba, there is mounting evidence that some kind of electronic attack was directed at some of the top American diplomats there, causing them detrimental health effects, including deafness, loss of their hearing. And we're not hearing very much about that either. I mean, I, I think suspicion in the case of what happened 
to this naval vessel. Suspicion in terms of uh, was it some sort of directed electronic uh, uh, sabotage is absolutely well warranted. I mean, we're we're living in a sea of electronic uh, surveillance and sabotage. So, you know, why not at least uh, uh, inquire about that possibility? But you're right, we probably are not going to hear very much about it through the Defense Department or the mainstream media. Peter, a question for you, um, just to educate our listeners and viewers here this evening, myself included. Now, you have many decades' experience as an investigative journalist. Uh, explain to us a little bit, uh, if you would, please, how, when we look at a situation like this collision with the USS John McCain, I'm also looking at USA Today, uh, Cuba diplomats ousted after bizarre incident with U.S. embassy workers in Havana. In these situations with the the government uh, involved, the military involved, uh, do journalists have to typically just rely on the media liaison from the Department of the Navy, or in this case the embassy in Havana, or are they able to access uh, information from a more objective point of view? Well, accessing information that resides with the government is difficult in any case, and it's compounded when it has a, a military or a um, you know anything ha- having to do with uh, military secrets, uh, diplomatic secrets involved with it. it. It compounds the problem for the journalist. And then you ha- also have to uh, keep in mind that sadly, for most so-called journalists today, they are not interested in really getting the true story. In my opinion, I mean there are some notable exceptions. In fact, one of them was on Sean Hannity's uh, radio show today, uh, Sarah Carter of Circa News, who broke some new news on Hannity's show today. She's been doing incredible investigative reporting uh, on the efforts to bring down the uh, Trump administration. But, you know, when you uh, when you have the military involved, they're going to zip it up, and you're going to have to rely on sources that you might have developed but then of course those sources are very paranoid especially now and uh, you know this is why we sometimes decades later we don't get to the bottom of some stories that were in the news I mean we still haven't gotten to the bottom of the JFK assassination 54 years later now so um, you know it remains to be seen if we'll be able to nail this one down but I, I, I hope there's a few intrepid reporters out there and and oddly enough some of the best reporting is coming from other countries like uh, England United Kingdom the the Daily Mail newspaper over there in London England has been consistently doing some of the best reporting overall in the mainstream media in that case the mainstream British media so maybe it will be the foreign press or the Asian press who knows that comes up with uh, an answer to this uh, conundrum Maybe, uh, as I said before, I don't believe we will ever get straight answers. And you mentioned something important about the embassy, U.S. embassy in, in Havana, Cuba, where there were some kind of sound attacks on a number of U.S. officials and some Canadian officials. Just last week, they reported that the number was far greater than what they first reported, and they didn't give specifics. But there have there have been ambassadors that have lost hearing and have other physical symptoms, you know, being sick, headaches, and 
there is definitely some kind of sound weapon that was being utilized down there. And it's as John pointed out earlier, we had the Russian plane knock out the communications to one of the ships not too long ago. We know that other countries have the capabilities because I believe our government has sold them or have has let them slip out uh, for whatever reason, probably intentional, probably has to do with corruption and money. But either way, it is time for the Navy to start rethinking their systems and how to harden their systems if this is the case that it's an electronic attack so that this doesn't happen again. Peter, I know you have some stuff you want to get into. I just want to hit this one headline, uh, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this if you want to comment. The Pope, there's an article today on Drudge Report. The Pope wants to take wants all countries to take in refugees regardless of the national security concerns. Pope Francis on Monday took a strong stand in defense of migrants' dignity on Monday, noting that Jesus' message is rooted in welcoming the rejected strangers of every age. Francis' politically pointed message was made in view of the Catholic Church's 2018 World Refugee, World Refugee Day, and where he goes on to say that uh, the principle of ensuring each person's dignity obliges us to always prioritize personal safety over national security. Obviously, the Vatican has a wall. This has been—he's been one big um, mouthpiece for the you know, politically correct agenda, completely abandoning much of the word in doing so. But I, I find it uh, hard to believe. Well, I guess not hard to believe. Hard to hear uh, from the Pope that he says, you know, forget national security, you let the, the migrants come in your country. That's pretty crazy. He likes to stick his nose in, and he always seems to be on the wrong side of not only <laughs> our views, but also the biblical views, and for different reasons. Yeah, you, you've got that right, Joe. I mean, I uh, whenever I hear the latest pronouncement from Pope Francis, I, I tend to tune it out, because otherwise it just makes me angry, and I, I really don't want to be angry at a man of the cloth like him who represents uh, one billion plus Roman Catholics but when you compare him to his predecessors Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul who were very relatively compared to him conservative and who actually had some achievements I mean Benedict was really trying to hold the line at uh, more traditional Christian and Catholic dogma in the face of this onslaught of politically correct theology, which has taken over so much of, of Christianity, Protestantism, and Roman Catholicism, and uh, of course he he retired. And the Pope before him, who's credited with with uh, helping to collaborate with Ronald Reagan and other conservatives to uh, to help to bring down communism in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, the Polish Pope. So those were tough acts to follow, and and in my opinion, this pope is just not up to the job. And I wish he would retire, but I I, I fear that his the next pope in line will probably be even worse, more liberal, more progressive, more politically correct, more green uh, as as times go on here. No, you're exactly right. You know, uh, Peter, I'd like to. Uh move next. I want to get into your uh, recent post at HagmanReport.com uh, entitled Civil War Breaking Out at Fox News. But before we do, I think listeners might find this interesting. This ties back into the story about what happened at the Cuban embassy. Really, as Joe pointed out, an, an underreported story 
and I was able to pull this up quickly. This is from USA Today, their tech section, and this is posted all the way back on November 7th, 2005. I'll just go over this quickly, Peter. I'd like to hear your opinion on this and also just see if you remember this. It says, uh, uh, Dateline Miami, the crew of a luxury cruise ship used a sonic weapon that blasts ear-splitting noise and a directed beam while being attacked by a gang of pirates off Africa this weekend, the cruise line said Monday. The Seaborne Spirit, that's the name of the vessel, had a long-range acoustic device, or LRAD, installed as part of its defense systems, said Bruce Good, a spokesman for Miami-based Seaborne Cruise Line. Uh, the article goes on to say, The LRAD is a so-called non-lethal weapon developed for the U.S. military after the, 2000, the year 2000 attack on the USS Cole off Yemen as a way to keep operators of small boats from ap approaching U.S. warships. Uh, and then the article concludes by saying, the devices have been deployed on commercial and naval vessels worldwide since the summer of 2003. A little bit of a strange story. Do you remember that one, Peter? Uh, no, but I actually saw it. Uh, wasn't this republished recently? I saw that linked recently and scanned the beginning of it. Uh, but I, I don't remember it from the time, but it, it certainly is interesting. And it, it suggests that there's a lot that we're not getting reporting on all, not only in that area which was which was uh, published in an IT technolo technology section of uh, USA Today but uh, the reason for this kind of a weapon is because of the tremendous activity in the world's oceans particularly uh, east of Africa I believe the African continent of um, Hijackers who try to take over boats and then hold them for ransom, whether they're uh, uh, shipping containers or uh, a passenger vessels. So you know, again, we are not—we're getting so little foreign news anyway. When you—you you mentioned I've been an investigative journalist for a long time, and even longer than that, I've paid attention to the news since I was very, very young. And I remember back in the day, the late fifties, the nineteen sixties. The mainstream media did a lot of reporting on foreign news. Of course, there was, you could make the case there was a lot happening then with the Cold War and, but the major broadcast channels, the newspapers, the news weeklies had bureaus, foreign bureaus all over the world, as well as domest domestically here in the United States. Now they pretty much closed all of those down and, uh, they're relying on on Facebook and Twitter for their news, which they then republish without anybody on the ground. And and there's just whole swaths of the planet, whole areas that we're just not getting uh, anything like comprehensive reporting on. And then, of course, that goes hand in hand with the ignorance of a lot of people in this country who are not educated on what's going on or what what foreign countries even exist. They couldn't find these places on a map if their lives depended on them. And then the news media is contributing to this by not covering foreign news. So, you know, it's just one more problem that we face. But, it's, but that's an interesting story. It's really interesting, as we say, it should be grounds for further research. And Peter, as John pointed out, your latest article that's up on the screen right now, Civil War Breaking Out at Fox News, you said some things on, the, on, on our Friday show, the Hagman Daily Show, that I don't know. I haven't read your article yet, but uh, do you want to get into some of that behind-the-scenes information that you have? Yes, yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, at this point, I've written in the last three months 
mainly for American Thinker, but also uh, I've adapted a number of the articles for the Hagman Report and written several original articles for the Hagman Report about what we're calling the cable news wars and Fox News in particular. And uh, this may seem like a rather specific area to be interested in, but actually the microcosm here points to the big picture. Fox News, which for many of us, and I'm sure many of our listeners and viewers today, was, since it came on the air in 1996, uh, a real advance in, in fair and balanced news gathering and presentation. There had never been anything like it in the mainstream media. And for the next uh, two decades, Fox pretty much had its act together. It wasn't perfect. There were There were... There was always some fake news there and disinformation and people who were a little too far left for my taste. But on the whole, you could turn to Fox News and and get leads on stories that were happening, get some initial reporting, then you could follow up on, on it on your own, on the Internet. But starting a year ago, as we know, with the ouster of the co-founder and CEO Roger Ailes because of sexual uh, harassment allegations... And then a parade of firings since then. I don't think I need to name them all, but the long story made short is that in the last year, we have had an incremental turn to the left by Fox News. So that today, um, in many ways, it's hanging by a thread. Now, I was just reviewing before the broadcast today uh, several of my articles that were from... Uh, two or three months ago, and I, I, one of them was published on June 12th about the Murdoch boys, and they're the major problem right now with Fox News. They are the sons, the 40-something sons of Rupert Murdoch, who's the guy, the, tr- the international media mogul who made Fox News. He's pretty conservative. His sons uh, are really two guys with minimal Achievement, really undistinguished careers, but they have the benefit of being heirs to Rupert Murdoch's billions to his empire, and he's turning uh, his whole empire over to them. So they're now pretty much the bosses of Fox News, and they're very far left wing, as are their two wives. And uh, so I pulled up from my article of June 12th on the Murdoch boys this quote, by Michael Wolf, who's a very credible reporter on television news and has some good sources, and he said, it would be hard to imagine how James Murdoch could have been regarded with more contempt by many of the people at Fox News. James was rather exhibit number one of the liberal elite entitlement that Fox had so profitably programmed against. And he goes on to say that uh, we could expect a very fast change towards the left now that James Murdoch and his brother Lachlan are basically taking control. And my source at Fox News, my very high-level source, as well as the source that Doug has, and we've been comparing, he and I have been comparing notes, as you know, about our sources since we first got in touch almost three months ago, Our sources, our two sources at Fox News, who are very credible, agree that there's a climate of fear there. And so this article that I just posted today at Hagman Report is titled, The the Civil War Breaks Out 
at Fox News. And there's a photograph of James Murdoch right at the top of the article. And last week, in the wake of this um, story that grew out of Charlottesville nine days ago now, the uh, demonstrations there and the death of the one counter-demonstrator and... I mean, that story is just so aggravating to even consider how the deep state, the forces allied against President Trump, however you want to name them or call them, they finally seem to have found an issue that they could sink their teeth in that is going to have some real meat on the bone. And you notice we haven't heard anything about Russia collusion for the last week and a half since they got this Charlottesville and its aftermath story, which has now presented the meme to the country and the world that Donald Trump is is not only prejudiced and a racist, but he's sympathetic or empathetic to neo-Nazis and white supremacists. I mean, this is so absurd and ridiculous and fake, and yet it has caught on. So this larger news story in the big world was being reported by Fox News like every other uh, cable news outlet and newspaper and radio station in the country and in the world, apparently. And it led last week to some interesting on-air developments at Fox News where you had uh, guests and anchors or hosts at Fox News breaking down into tears as they're trying to cover this story because of the tremendous pressure that surrounds this story. I mean, the other news channels, uh, MSNBC and CNN, were doing reporting that uh, in my 50 years of paying attention to the media, I have never seen anything like it. CNN especially, I think for two or three days, they had a, a uh, uh, characters on the bottom of the screen, text saying something like... Uh, President Trump's, uh, uh, forgetting the exact language, but like his disaster, or his off the rails news conference. It said that for days on the screen. They were seizing on that news conference as if that news conference of his last Tuesday, which ran 20 minutes, was all the proof that we needed that he's a racist and probably a neo Nazi, a supporter of David Duke, the Klansman, you name it. You know, again, with zero evidence, as little evidence as they ever had to push the Russia collusion story. But this one had legs, as they say, and it's still going strong today because of the political correctness and the fact that when you charge somebody with being a racist, the charge seems to be enough. You don't have to come forward with proof. A whole bunch of people will stand in line to validate it you know, Black Lives Matter, the NAACP, the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of, of organizations out there, most of them tax-exempt, who are just waiting for their chance to call anybody they don't agree with a racist, an anti-Semite, or worse. So now they have President Trump on the run for that, but the microcosm of the story is that when we look at how this affected Fox News in the last week, we see a, uh, a news organization, Fox News Channel, that is coming apart at the seams. Now, also last week, uh, and I helped to break this story, actually, 
that uh, and actually Drudge broke it on Monday, as we discussed on your radio program on Friday. Last Monday, Drudge tweeted um, a story or, or tweet congratulating Laura Ingram on her imminent move to prime time. So everybody assumed, well, that means she's going to Fox News prime time, which is a good guess. Now, my uh, source at Fox News had told me the same thing several weeks earlier, but swore me to secrecy. So on Tuesday, I got this person's permission to go with my uh, news on the uh, breaking news on the story, which was that, uh, yes, Laura Ingwin would probably get 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. She would not get 9 o'clock, as most of the other journalists were saying, but Sean Hannity would move from 10 to 9 o'clock. So that was kind of good news because Sean Hannity, as we've discussed before, is one of the last holdouts on the Fox News channel. He's been doing the best reporting of his career in recent months, aided by guests, return guests, who were just superb, including Sarah Carter, who I mentioned earlier, Greg Jarrett, who's a, a very brilliant attorney who works as an anchor and reporter at Fox News, and he's been weighing in with original reporting on everything that's going on in terms of try, the, the deep state trying to sandbag and destroy uh, the administration of President Trump. So Hannity has been doing great work. And now, and by the way, I, I think one reason is because he, unlike any other host in cable news, as far as I can tell, has editorial control over the hour that he does nightly on Fox News, which is why his show is not cluttered with excessive left-wing guests and you know, just time wasted. So he really uses the 40 minutes of his show when you subtract the commercials every night to great advantage. But so that was an optimistic piece of news last week that it looks like Sean Hannity is going to be hanging on there going into the fall at nine o'clock up against Rachel Maddow. But then we see how really the place at Fox News is in chaos. The Murdoch boys could uh, invalidate that decision in, in a New York minute, and Sean Hannity could be out of there. I mean, just ask Eric Bowling or Charles Payne or um, Bill O'Reilly how long it takes when the bosses determine it's your time to go and you're gone, your history, and you can't, you can't get back on the air. So I have my fingers crossed, but I think the long view here is that we're up against it and Fox News is going to crumble. By the way, Here's, a, here's an indication of what's going to happen in uh, an hour and a half. I got a news release this morning from uh, Fox News PR department. I'm on their list because of all of the writing I've done. Let me see if I can just call this up here. Because they were promoting, they put out a press release promoting the coverage that they're going to have tonight on Fox News Channel surrounding President Trump's address to the nation at 9 p.m. Eastern Time in which he's going to uh, announce his decision on how to go forward with the Afghan war. So, this press release I got this morning said, uh, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum will anchor primetime programming between 8.55 and 10 p.m. Much of that time, President Trump will be speaking with contributions from Dana Perino, who is, of course, a notorious uh, Bush era rhino also senior political analyst Juan Williams Juan Williams is 
I, I would say he's the number one most reviled or disliked Fox News analyst, according to the 15,000 reader <laughs> comments I've gotten at even, American Thinker even in more the than last Shepard Smith? three months. Well, they're pretty close, but, uh, you know, Juan has actually got more airtime than Shep, because Shep is most of the time on in the afternoon, 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern, than he's done. Juan has his own show. He's on the 5, 9 p.m., five nights a week with his four co-hosts. And then he's on all these other shows as an analyst. I mean, he, he's on, he was on Fox News Sunday yesterday, and he was on the Wall Street Journal report yesterday. I thought, you know, how much of this guy do I have to see before I, I throw my shoe at the TV? I can't take it anymore. Well, Peter, so he's, he's going to be one of the key analysts tonight. And, I mean, this guy is Mr. Left Wing. You know, I don't need to go into detail. but Oh, and the other guest tonight at Fox News, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern, is Senator Lindsey Graham. Again, no great friend of President Trump, you know, actually a good buddy of Senator John McCain. They were photographed together with uh, former Connecticut Senator Joe Lieberman uh, in Arizona this weekend. And then, fortunately, Hannity will be coming on at 10. And then the 5 special live show at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And the 5 means a shouting match uh, including Juan Williams, and uh, I, I don't know, I just can't even stand that show anymore. But, you know, here too, the, yesterday uh, and today, again, we saw on Fox Jessica Tarloff, far left wing Democrat, uh, you know, and so it goes. It's just uh, one after another. And, and, you know, it's like the boiling frog. You put the frog in the pot of cold water you turn up the heat slowly before the frog knows it he's being boiled alive and he can't even jump out anymore well I think we're being boiled alive here slowly by Fox News over the last year they've been raising the temperature you know ratcheting up the liberal approach and it's, it's kind of started out subtly but now it's really taking off and uh you know, it's just going to be the way it is. I mean, people have hope that something else will will come up to replace Fox News, uh, a network that hasn't yet been started, either built on the stations that Sinclair Broadcasting has. Uh, by the way, Sinclair owns Circa News, which Sarah Carter is reporting for, and they also have uh, Cheryl Atkinson reporting for their uh, for a small network of their local affiliates, and and Cheryl Atkinson is really excellent. I would love to see her on a really highly accessible cable news channel. You know, there's a couple of others out there. There's the One American News Channel. There's Newsmax TV. So we'll see what happens. But it really looks like the Fox News Channel is slipping away, and um, and it's bad news because uh, you know, oh, as Doug it is, is indeed it is. As, as Doug has pointed out, as I've pointed out, this is like the last holdout to anything approaching the truth in the mainstream media to to look at what President Trump is doing. And if if Fox is a goner, you know, I don't know where we're going to go. Where what channel are we going to turn to? We're just going to have to go to the internet. But that's not that's not viable for a lot of folks. I mean, this is still the mainstream media. And it has that name for one 
for that reason. It's mainstream. And as much as we love the Internet and use it 24-7, you know, everyone isn't quite there yet. Well, you know, Peter, you make some excellent points. And uh, first off, just a quick shout-out to uh, the folks over at One American News Network. Now, we've been blessed to feature uh, both uh, Liz Wheeler as well as Stephanie Hamill uh, here at the Hagman Report. And, uh, in fact, Stephanie's going to rejoin us uh, shortly. Uh, they've got some fine talent over at One American News Network, so we very much appreciate what they're doing over there. And, you know, you went through a litany, Peter, of what, who I consider to be some, some fairly disingenuous investigators, and I'm using investigator very loosely here, particularly Juan Williams. But let me ask you this, uh, your personal opinion, uh, Peter, do you find, be it on Fox News or the other primary cable news networks, are there any genuine liberals left? Are there any genuine uh, progressive commentators that actually mean what they're saying? Or have they all gone down the path of Juan Williams? And I would even roll back as far as to say I used to catch a lot of that that sort of disingenuous demeanor from Alan Combs as well. Right. That's an excellent question. And uh you know, I've mentioned more than once, I think, the disappearance of uh, a segment that was called the uh, Fox News uh, Insiders, I believe, who for five years held down a weekly spot Sunday evenings on Fox News, consisting of Patrick Cadell, Douglas Schoen, and they're, they're two Democrats, classic liberal Democrats. And the third member of their team was... Uh, John Le Boutelier, a Republican one-term member of Congress, they were a fantastic team who, uh, it was appointment viewing for me. I mean, two out of the three were Democrats, but they really told it like it is. I mean, they had been around for decades. Cadell got his start when he was at Harvard working for George McGovern, and so did I. I worked for George McGovern in 1972, and I'm still sort of proud of it. It's a long story, but, you know, McGovern was a good guy. He was a patriot. He was a bomber pilot in World War II. And, you know, then you evolve from there. But And so did Pat Cadell. And as far as I could tell, he was telling it like it is, you know, sticking it to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama when they deserved it, which was most of the time, and predicting basically two or three years ago that something unusual was going to happen in 2016 and we might see somebody come out of nowhere and and grab the wave, ride the wave that they felt was building and ride it all the way to the White House outside of the two conventional parties. And that's exactly what happened with Donald Trump. They predicted it without naming Trump because that, they were saying that even before he declared a serious interest in running in June of 2015. So, you know, they were still around. Uh, Joe Lieberman used to be occasionally uh, featured as a guest on Fox News. You know, he was a relatively straight-talking Democrat. I haven't seen him in the longest time on there. And meanwhile, one by one, these people have been replaced by these absolute hacks who you can just, you know, when they're announced, when, when they start talking, you can just tune them out. Because it's not only going to be a total waste of your time, but it's going to really make you angry. And, you know, there's enough, we're angry enough as it is, just seeing what the real news is out there without listening to one of these liars 
you know, spin their story that comes right from the Democratic National Committee or God knows where. So, and then of course the other news channels, uh, uh, CNN and MSNBC are a total loss. And you know, I think since since I since we convened last time, there was the loss at CNN of Jeffrey Lord, who was uh, one of the two reliable conservative analysts that CNN had. An interesting timing there because they fired Jeffrey Lord, who was a, a great supporter of President Trump and an excellent journalist. He writes for, um, um, I'm spacing out on the publication he writes for now, but uh, anyway, he had been on for about two years uh, as a defender of President Trump, and he tweeted, he was engaged in a Twitter war with the guy who's the president of Media Matters. And he was so frustrated that he said to this character on Twitter, Heil Hitler, as a satiric comment, saying that really Media Matters is the Hitlerian fascistic group that's trying to get people like Sean Hannity thrown off the air and banning free speech, etc. And instead of his tweet being taken for what it was, CNN used it as an excuse to fire him uh, that same afternoon. So he's gone from CNN. And the other reliable conservative there, conservative Kaylee McEnany, left on her own. She's a Harvard-educated lawyer, a um, young woman, very attractive and very well-spoken. And she's now gone to work for the Republican National Committee as their uh, video spokesperson, doing videos. And she's popped up on several Fox News programs recently. But you know, I think we're going to see more incrementalism at the Fox News channel uh, under the guidance or the leadership of these Murdoch boys, the sons of Rupert Murdoch. And, uh, you know, I hate to sit here in judgment of, of anybody in this life. And I've, I've looked at these guys, I've researched them, the Murdoch boys, without knowing anything about them to start. And I, I am just not coming up with anything that gives me any reassurance that they are anything like reasonable individuals who should be running a news channel, a news entity, or that they're fair at all. I mean, and, and you know, James uh, Murdoch, uh, who's pretty much, well, he's now the chairman, the CEO of 21st Century Fox, so he's really the boss of the whole team now. He was working in uh, England when the phone hacking scandal went on at one of his father's, Rupert Murdoch's properties, uh, uh, the tabloid newspaper over there. And he later had to testify twice in an English uh, proceeding, a media uh, information gathering proceeding under oath about what was going on there. And he's been it's been alleged that he lied in that testimony because he certainly knew what was going on in terms of the phone hacking. But he tried to play dumb. And, you know, before that, you look at this guy. He dropped out of Harvard to start a hip-hop record company in the 1990s. That failed, but he was able to sell it to his father's 20th Century Fox, so that bailed him out there. And it's been one undistinguished uh, career move after the other since then, in my opinion, as it's been for his brother Lachlan. And now these guys are running the show at Fox News. I mean, it, it, and you compare them to Roger Ailes, who 
basically created Fox News out of whole cloth and then was forced to resign a year ago and then died uh, in May of this year. And, I mean, Roger Ailes is one of the the great media figures of the 20th century. He, he Long before he got involved with creating Fox News, he had a, a long, distinguished career in both conservative politics and media. But uh, he was pushed aside, and now these... These two Murdoch boys are, uh, I mean, they might have not have the titles as president of Fox News or whatever, but, you know, they're the ones running the show. That's who my sources say, and I'm, that's who Doug's source says. And, and it's obvious. I mean, we're not the only ones saying that. There's a number of journalists who say it's the Murdoch boys who are in control there. So, you know, I think soon we're just going to have to uh, kiss Fox News goodbye, and I... I hope that Hannity, Sean Hannity, can hang on, and if not, I hope that he can find a new gig where he will still be able to come into our homes because he's still pretty young in his mid-50s. His work is not finished yet. And as I say, he's, you know, Sean Hannity, people, it's popular for a lot of people, especially who consider themselves conservative purists, to put Sean Hannity down. But I, I can say that he is, he's a good guy. You know, he, he's capable of learning and of growing. He's very, very sincere, and just judging by his work, in the last months he's done exceptional work on both his three-hour daily radio show and on his nightly television program. And, um, you know, there's nobody who comes close. I mean, uh, in an article that I will be writing about him eventually, just focusing on him sort of biographically, I think he is really the number one conservative media personality in the United States. Now, Rush Limbaugh is a name that usually comes to mind, and that's not to put Rush down at all. Rush has the number one radio show, talk radio show, and has for three decades. But Sean has the number two radio show, and he has the number one TV show. So I think on balance, you'd have to say Sean is pretty much number one. You know, maybe neck and neck with Rush Limbaugh but um, I'd give the slight edge to Sean Hannity there and I mean they're both really worthwhile to listen to, to check out to see you know what they're talking about and what their perspective is, they've proven themselves over the decades, you know they don't have tens of millions of listeners and in Hannity's case three or four million viewers a night uh, for no reason, they've earned it No, uh, Peter you said a whole lot there and you're you're exactly right and you know Hannity has been doing a magnificent job of you know telling the truth and getting that message out there. He's one of the only ones, if not the only one, on the mainstream who is actually you know digging in and telling it like it is. I want to go back to uh, you mentioned the press conference coming up in an hour that uh, Trump is holding to give an update on uh, tactics and, and what we're going to do in Afghanistan. Do you believe that, I know this is something he was against his whole campaign. Now we know there is give and take in his position of power. Uh, I said all that to say this. Do you think that he's going to increase troops in Afghanistan? I know that's the gossip, that's the rumor. I don't trust the rumors, but in your own personal opinion, what do you, uh, what do you expect from Trump tonight? Well, the initial reports of people who have heard leaks, I guess, they're they're tossing this number of 4,000 additional U.S. forces will be committed to Afghanistan, but there's a caveat to be used primarily in an advisory 
role. Now, I've heard a number of other analysts uh, or of analysts in the past uh, 24 to 48 hours uh, on the news channels and in print say, you know, this is a fool's errand. Uh, no foreign power has a- ever been able to succeed there. The Russians got kicked out. We've been at it for, what, 16 years now with no end in sight. And, um, I mean, one is always tempted to put one's military analyst hat on. And I have to say that in my career, I've done a lot more uh, research and interviewing and sourcing on a different area of the Middle East uh, relating to Israel, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, especially the original Gulf War and then the uh, uh, war against Saddam Hussein in 2003. So I'm going to reserve judgment on this because I really don't know, and I think it's going to be a really tough call. But, you know, one thing came to mind when I heard critics on CNN today already blaming President Trump, uh, saying, well, no, he should just pull out. You know, well, I mean, their hero, Barack Hussein Obama, didn't pull out. In fact, if I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken here, I think more American troops died in Afghanistan under the leadership of Barack Hussein Obama than they did under President George W. Bush. Isn't that how it worked out there? So I'm not you know, sure. I, I mean, their good... hero, their hero, you know, uh, I, I mean, in fact, there were a number of military leaders, as you know, during Obama's regime who said, you know, we shouldn't draw down so fast. That actually, we were in a better position when uh, George W. Bush handed the war over to Obama in January of 2009. And Obama, of course, being anti-military and everything else, uh, wanted to go slow and withdraw. He announced our withdrawal date. Then he revised that and limped along there. And now it's up to President Trump and the military today to try to clean up that mess that Barack Hussein Obama left them. So, you know, I have great sympathy for President Trump and the situation and the generals and the troops for the situation they find themselves in now. But, you know, I also think it would be it would be a terrible um, loss on one hand to just pull out and let the place fall into the hands control of the Taliban in light of the several thousand Americans who sacrificed their their lives, and I believe 20,000 plus Americans who were wounded or injured in the Afghanistan war, many of them with permanent for life injuries. So, you know, I would tend to, and, and I think President Trump is probably doing this, I would tend to trust the military and their judgment in this. I mean, why not? You know, the, the U.S. military has proven to be pretty effective and pretty good. And if, if they haven't done the job in the last eight years, I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the commander-in-chief. Now we've got a credible commander-in-chief, so let him command. You're absolutely right, Peter. And just as a side note, we uh, we only got about a minute and a half left. You will be joining us also next Monday, August 28th. Um, that's the day we have in-studio guest T.C. Joseph, who will be with us. And we really look forward to that. Peter, if I can, one last question. Anything you want to give a spoiler to what you're going to be writing about this week? Yeah, I'm going to be following up on the Fox News stuff and also in the big picture, just the the insanity of how President Trump has been 
sandbagged, apparently with a major effect here, major impact finally, by the fake news of Charlottesville. That's, that's a vi- an aftermath. That's a very sensitive area to get into, but American Thinker uh, has been doing excellent reporting on that. I haven't done any of it yet. I'll do it from the media angle, but I'd recommend if people are interested to go back there. The last uh, weeks of uh, reporting is on the front page. And also I did a little update on the uh, eclipse. I posted a Tagman report, two photographs I took of the yeah. eclipse today, showing, hopefully showing a bit of an artistic side, but uh, people are invited to check that out as well. But once again, a great pleasure to be with uh, both of you today, John and Joe. I'll look forward to next uh, Monday. We'll see what happens between now and then. Peter Chalka, thank you so much. Again, uh, great investigative journalist, writes for the American Thinker, as well as the Hagman Report. And go check out the stuff that he posted on Hagman Report today. It's very interesting. And I'm going to definitely check out the Eclipse story. I haven't, I haven't opened it up yet. But thank you for doing that, Peter. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Folks, we'll be right back with Doc Marquis after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash... 
Trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Peterberry Chalk was our guest in the last hour, and we got a, a great next two hours lined up for you. It's going to be me and John Robertson and Doc Marquis mainly. And before we get to Doc, I want to bring you a quick word from one of our sponsors. Folks, go to greenovative.com. Uh, Greenovative power cells make power anytime, anywhere, in any weather, day or night possible. And there's no better preparations than food and then energy when you're talking about situations that you might find yourself in. Greenovative has an infinite sh- uh, shelf life and will recharge an unlimited number of batteries. They are EMP and Eclipse safe and will work when nothing else does. Don't let the lack of preparations uh, in, in your, yours, chance, your preparations chance your survival when you really need portable solar. Again, we had uh, Mr. Yego on a few Fridays ago and he talked about the importance of battery-operated power when an EMP hits or some other unforeseen circumstance knocks out your power. You can get 12% off charger packages with the discount code HAGMAN. Get yours at www.greenovative.com. When you need it, you'll be glad you did. Also, the number on the screen, call Alan Riggs at 321-576-2712. Again, greenovative.com. John, I know you got um, a treat for the audience. I'll call it a treat because it, it's uh, fantastic what you, the presentation you, you did in, in Chicago. You got a little taste of that today that you're going to bring us in with, and then we're going to bring on Doc. Yes, exactly. This should be a lot of fun. So just by way of quick introduction, folks, I know many of you are familiar with, with my background prior to my tenure here at Hagman Report, but... For 16 years, I worked in Hollywood in both feature film and television production, and it's particularly exciting uh, this evening to uh, re-engage Doc Marquis uh, because, Doc, a, a tip of the hat to you, sir, it was, it was the work, the research, the discernment, the critical thinking applied of gentlemen like Doc Marquis, Paul McGuire, uh, who educated me over the past uh, six or eight years and enabled me to really open my eyes and and, and uh, encouraged me to seek the discernment of the Holy Spirit while in the midst of where I was working every day. And so this evening, what we'd like to do is for about 10 minutes, I'm going to take you folks through a little story. Some of you may have heard it before, but we're going to go back in time about 100 years and we're going to talk a little bit about how Hollywood first got its start, how it got its name, 
and how that ties directly into uh, multi-generational witchcraft going all the way back to the 10th century uh, in what is now modern-day uh, United Kingdom, uh, Britain, Wales, etc. Uh, once I sort of put us in that historic context, and we'll talk about how Hollywood in fact got its name, then we'll bring Doc Marquis back in with us and uh, just have a conversation. And we've got the full two hours to do this, and we're just excited about it. We're going to talk a little bit about the corporate symbolism that we see in Hollywood and how it relates to ancient occult symbolism. We're going to talk uh, perhaps a bit about the demonic brokerage that goes on in Hollywood uh, and do people, in fact, sell their souls for fame. And, again, many of you folks uh, have heard previous broadcasts that I've brought to the Hagman Report uh, with similar content. But the, the beautiful part about tonight, our ambition and our goal, is to bring Doc Marquis' numerous decades of knowledge uh, into the conversation, particularly with the fact that he was born uh, into a multi-generational witchcraft environment. So we're just getting a few uh, IT things set. Tech Eric is uh, jamming around the studio. We're working about six different monitors right now uh, so that we can bring to our YouTube uh, live viewers uh, some slides that really depict the era that we're going to be talking about and also uh, enable our viewers to take a look at some of the symbols uh, that have their roots in uh, ancient occult. Uh, moreover, uh, we're going to take a look at some things that, that I know are evil and yet really don't have the understanding that Doc does. Uh, we're going to talk about you know, the evil of the Baphomet sign. Why, why is it an evil sign? We know in the early 1970s that Anton LaVey uh, went on national TV and proclaimed it to be a curse and uh, did so in kind of a almost a, a darkly humorous way. I, I say humorous in finger quotes. Uh, but we're going to take a, a we're going to take an examination of how prevalent and how ubiquitous the Baphomet sign is, what some people think is like the heavy metal rock and roll sign uh, throughout Hollywood. We're going to talk a little bit about how witchcraft has permeated not only uh, Hollywood with the television and film industry, but also in music as well. And then toward the end of our program tonight, uh, I certainly encourage Doc to, uh, we'll just kind of go free for him and, uh, and you know, we'll, he'll share with all of us. Uh, his different insights. Um, so again, we've been looking forward to this show for many months. Uh, Eric is getting our slideshow presentation up. You know, uh, Doc, while we're waiting for our IT stuff to come together, uh, let's talk a little bit about your book that just came out. Okay, go right ahead. Well, by all means, uh, why don't, uh, I, I, I'm kind of juggling three things right now. Tell, tell folks who are not familiar. Now you joined us about uh, six weeks ago, I think it was July 14th, um, but uh, for people who are not familiar, just tell folks what uh, uh, your book is about, and I just jump right in, Doc. Okay, how much time do I have to yabber on? <laughs> oh, I would say take all the time you need. Well, okay, I was doing a um, conference for Parky in the News um, last year in September, and um, Joe, you must remember... Um, Colorado Springs Hotel? Yeah. 
Right. You know that long corridor where we were able to set up everything on our tables and such? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Thursday evenings, if you remember, they cordoned that off. So, you know, people like you, people like me, we can set up our tables and, you know, what me not. Well, I was putting up about four or five boxes worth of DVDs on my two tables. And by the time I was done, I had about four or five hundred DVDs on those tables. I'm just standing there wallowing in self-pity saying, I don't want to do this. I know well, that goes back. Oh, don't So, well, anyways, um, while I'm trying to sort through all those DVDs, this very tall, strapping young man, looked like about 25 years old, um, who shouldn't have been there, walks up to me, and he was just about to say something when he picked up a DVD, and that's when he said, um, my name is Joshua Dolans. I'm from Charisma Publishers, and we'd like to offer you a book deal. And, of course, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, you know, it, it was just one of those off, you know, out of left field type things that, I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, Doc. And in, in, in conferences, you get introduced to all kinds of different people. <laughs> and you never yeah. know um, what you're going to run into. Exactly. So I, I told him that um, I could talk to him later on, you know, um, tomorrow, you know, because I was really busy trying to, you know, sort through everything while I could. Well, while, um, uh, well, I should say, after I had done loading up everything, I pulled out my laptop and decided to look up Charisma House because, quite honestly, I didn't know them from Adam. I really didn't. And when I found out that they were, if they're not the largest, Christian publishing um, firm in America. I mean, these people have over 60,000 distributors. And, you know, they walked up to me and asked me, of all people, would you like to write a book? And I'm going, what? Well, um, found out that um, um, the lady who became my editor, Maureen Aha, and certain other people had been looking at my, a number of my DVDs and um, when they saw my teachings on the rapture, from what I understand, that's what really sold the book to them. And they wanted to make sure that they got this teaching in everyone's hands because they said, and I'm quoting, they've never seen anything like this before in their entire lives. And here I am thinking this is just normal. This is how you teach it. And so one thing led to another, and welcome October 3rd, um, the book, which is titled, the final rapture is going to be released. Well, and Doc, it's um, it's amazing how things like that happen, and you know, opportunities just fall into your lap. And I believe last time you were on, you told a little bit of the story, because I remember uh, you talking about the, you know, putting your DVDs up and the guy coming up to you. But this is uh, you know, that's, it's fascinating how things work out. So what, a year and a half later, here you are, and here's your book. Oh, it, yeah. You know, and um, God be praised, um, as I said, um, what is it, in about a month and a half on October 3rd, it's going to be released through Charisma Publishers. Well, that's great, Doc. And again, yeah. the book is called The Final Rapture, folks. You Can can they pre-order it? 
Um, yes, as a matter of fact, um, you can go through Amazon.com or uh, just get a hold of me. Um, I know Proxy in the News has also taken pre-orders, so you've got a, mul- a multiple choice there of how you want to do it. That's awesome. And yeah, yeah you sent us a, a copy. Um, I don't believe it was it was finished, but it's definitely interesting. And last time you were on, you broke down how the book, uh, how the, the different chapters of the book, and what they what each uh, section deals with. And you broke it down well, into three parts very nicely. If you want to give a brief overview of that. Okay. Well, the book is divided into three major sections, the past, the present, and the future. I don't remember exactly how many chapters there are, but there's quite a number of them. And um, what we do, um, before we even examine um, the book itself, we first have to figure out what makes a rapture a rapture, and that's the biggest problem in Christianity. Now, everyone argues that it's pre, mid, post, or um, or what's that new one called again? Well, we talked about the, uh, yeah, you're talking about the pre-wrath and post-wrath. Thank you, yeah. Um, and before we can even figure out which one is right, if you would, we have to first define what makes a rapture a rapture. No one seems to be able to answer that question. And once we do that, then we can go into the past into the distant past now, thousands and thousands of years ago, and we'll discover that there have been past raptures. And then we bring it up to the present date, where we take a look at what I call the pre-signs. There are signs in the Bible that were mentioned that, in my humble opinion, people just aren't looking at, and we really need to take a good look at them if we're going to understand I mean, in all its significance, that time we're living in right now. And then the third section, um, it, uh, which deals with the future, we, in a sense, send um, a letter in a bottle to the future, to those people who are living during the tribulation period, because they're going to literally have hell on earth to contend with. And the whole intention of that third chapter is to witness to those people in the future. And we do this by explaining to them the major prophecies, according to the book of Revelation, that they themselves are going to be living through. And this way they can see um, what, t- what period of the tribulation period they're in at that point, and then they can just keep following the rest of the major signs as a roadmap so that they know what they can expect and all along, we'll be witnessing, witnessing to them at the same time, you know, like, isn't it time to get saved now? And I do mention, I spell it out, you know, the entire sinner's prayer, if you want to call it that, or whatever we're calling it. And I give them plenty of opportunities to get saved. Um, we walk them through the sinner's prayer and everything. And that's what the entire book, if you would, is about. Because my concern is not just for people to get saved now, but what about those folks in the future? They need something also, because nothing says that they're going to come across one of the 144,000 evangelists that are going to be witnessing, nor the two um, uh, prophets. I mean, they need um, someone who will send a message to them in the future about salvation. Right on, Doc. Very well said, and we're going to get back into the discussion of your book in a little bit. And I know uh, you're familiar with what, or you you know that we're going to do. John's going to do a little bit of a presentation here, 
And right. Eric set it up so you should be able to view the presentation slides on your Skype. Is that right? Well, as a matter, well, as a matter of fact, who's that old spot in the picture? <laughs> well, if you're looking in the right area, Doc, that would be you. Oh, my goodness, I am getting the old. <laughs> well, I'm going to turn it over to John here, Doc. And I saw part of this presentation in, in uh, Chicago earlier this year, and it was fantastic. It's very interesting, very informative. Oh, great. Well, Joe, thank you so much. And again, folks, for this hour as well as uh, all of our third hour, our special guest is gr great friend of the program, Doc Marquis. Uh, and we're so pleased that he was able to join us this evening. What I'd like to do is just take a few moments to place you folks back in a different era. We're going to roll the clock back about 100, 120 years, and I'm going to create a context, uh, an atmosphere, that will demonstrate that Hollywood is not an entertainment machine that became satanic or devolved into a Luciferian uh, witchcraft agenda, but that in fact Hollywood was created out of a multi-generational witchcraft agenda. Now in order to do so, I want you to put your minds back in the turn of the last century. It's 1910, 1915, New York City, and it's an enormous clash of technology, and it's an enormous clash of culture. And we know that when you see things like the end of the age of steam uh, intersect with the beginning of the age of electricity. When we have the heretofore undreamed of concept of being able to project the human voice over many thousands of miles, as was done by Marconi at the time, when people began to see the very birth of film, they'd never seen anything quite like it before. So our story starts in, in the turn of last century, New York City, and it really starts on the Lower East Side, where uh, there was a contingent of, of Jewish families who had come over from the old country seeking a better life. But this is a this is a time of of very dangerous work environments, and in many cases, the the father or the pater familia of the family would lose uh, his life early uh, from poor food or from uh, work. There were a lot of industrial accidents back then, no compensation for families. And what happened is it often put the young younger sons in a disposition where they had to become essentially the men of the house, the head of the household, and keep their mother and sisters going. Now, interestingly, it is through the maternal side of the Jewish tradition that Kabbalah is handed down. And at this time, folks, there were multiple generations living in single domiciles, in, in, in fire traps. Uh, and so you had often the grandmother and perhaps one of her sisters and the mother training these young, aggressive, lower east side. They were tough kids, these young Jewish kids, many of whom had lost their fathers. Now, at the time... There were any number of businesses always coming and going, and there were always a lot of storefronts available for rent. And these young entrepreneurial kids figured out quite possibly the most technologically innovative thing of its time. And what they did was uh, scraping nickels together. Often they used crime to get the, the seed money. Uh, they began to open up 
what they called Nickelodeons. Now, folks, these were just storefronts with folding chairs in them and perhaps a sheet, a bed sheet for a screen. But these Nickelodeons uh, were, people had never seen anything like it before. Now, I want to pause and mention that even the name Nickelodeon has a, a Luciferian component to it. it. They were called Nickelodeons because the price of admission was a nickel. But Odeon is noted as the little G god of the Greek theater and also the little G god that presides over the drama of the theater, or you could even stretch it to say the drama of deception. So imagine 1905-1910. You walk into a dark storefront, you sit down, and for the first time in your life, you witness three-dimensional life emanating off a two-dimensional plane. People were so mesmerized by this that they often got up from their seats, exited the Nickelodeon, paid another nickel, and went right back in to watch the productions of the time. These were incredibly popular, and it, 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 it was like a, it was probably a lot like when iPhones first came out. And at the time, uh, the films were very simple, short pieces. They ran about six to ten minutes, and they were primarily made by the Edison Company across the river in New Jersey. And these young entrepreneurial, uh, uh, Jewish kids, from the Lower East Side uh, primarily, they began to franchise out the idea of these Nickelodeons. So they went from owning one to three to ten, and in some cases some of them owned 30 and 40, uh, collecting up the nickels of the neighborhood all day long and showing the sepia-toned pieces. Obviously, this is the silent era of just day-to-day -day life of whatever the Edison Company chose to film but these kids had a problem, and the problem was monopoly. In this era, you could not get your hands on a projector or a camera, nor could you get your hands on the sound equipment that was being developed again by the Edison Company. Now, this is a few years before the advent of what we call sync sound, and you couldn't get your hands on a single foot of celluloid film unless you were doing business with Thomas Edison, with the Eastman Kodak Company, to a lesser degree, Nikolai Tesla, who brought many of the uh, original schematics uh, for the use of electricity that makes even a modern film set today work. These young entrepreneurs who were not above bending the law had run up face first against this monopoly. Now it's important to remember what I suggested earlier that these these young kids in pursuit of the cash that it would take to not only care for their families in the absence of their fathers uh, but uh, perhaps even realize the American dream, you know, sort of a, a Horatio Alger rags to riches type thing. They had been trained in Kabbalah now, we're going to ask Doc to speak on Kabbalah here as soon as I'm finished with this opening presentation. But Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, and numerology was something that many of these, uh, these what would become Hollywood pioneers were well-versed in, again, having been handed down through the maternal side of their family. 
Now what I want to do, folks, is a smash cut back even further in time to ancient, what would become Britain. Let's call it the 10th century. We're going to take a look at the Druids, and certainly Doc will have a lot to say about this as well. In the northern latitudes of England, 10th century, everything revolved around the rotation and the growth of food. And so many of the significant dates on the occult calendar had something to do with the changing of the seasons vis-a-vis the production of food. And one of the most significant dates was the winter solstice. Now, folks, this was the longest, darkest day of the year. And they, they, they note the Toyin tree as the only tree in those northern latitudes of Britain, the British Isles, that stayed green throughout the course of the year. Now, remember that the name of that tree, because this is important, folks. What they would do on the winter solstice is at places like Stonehenge and many other places, typically where ley lines intersect, and again, we've got Doc Marquis with us tonight to explain uh, what he knows about ley lines and about these rituals and rites, they would come together and they would cast spells uh, to bring about a bountiful harvest from, from Gaia, from, from their mother earth, from the little G god Gaia. Now, an important part of these rituals and rites, an important part of the actual casting of the spell, was the use of a wand. Now, we tend to trivialize wands as kind of a Harry Potter type thing, or, you know, an accessory out of a Halloween costume or something like that. But wands were a very important part of of casting the spell, of what we've heard our, our brother Russ Dizdar called dirtying the air. And the wands were typically made from the wood of the Toyin tree. You see, they marked this tree as a symbol uh, that brought... The, the, the people and the harvest from the longest, darkest day of winter and capitulate on the winter solstice over to the first day of spring, the bringing forth of new life from the earth. And as they would uh, do these rituals and rites, they would use wands made of the Toyin tree. Now, I want to go back to early Hollywood. So, Southern California, 1910, was just a dusty basin uh, with great Spanish influence, and uh, it was primarily agriculture, a lot of citrus. Uh, it really was not a populated area. And what these young, tough Jewish kids, their pockets bulging with money from the Nickelodeon ventures, they decided the only way to break free of the Edison and Eastman Kodak Monopoly was to jump on a train and journey six days across the entire continental United States to Southern California. Still takes three days today in a car. (laughs) Well, some of these people included, uh, for example, Adolf Zucker, who went on to form famous players Lasky Studios. Uh, Max Sennett would be another one, uh, who was the creator of all the Keystone Cop comedies. And when these young, tough, entrepreneurial, Lower East Side kids, uh, plenty of money to spend, when they arrived in Southern California, 
they they knew that not only did they have technology and a, 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 a brand new invention at their disposal, but they knew that they had the most hypnotic, the most uh, ingenious power to manipulate the mind and to condition the consciousness of the population. And they brought it to a relatively unknown backwater of the country at the time. In fact, they knew through their Kabbalistic teachings that much like the ancient Druids in their worship of Gaia, they held figuratively in their hand the greatest wand, the greatest capability to cast a spell in the entire history of humanity up to that time. Now, I want to mention, to wrap the story up, that the Toyin tree in England is also the American holly tree. So as these Kabbalistic young entrepreneurs began to set up the studio system in L.A., they knew that they were about to wave the most powerful and perhaps most poisonous wand, again, in the history of humanity. They knew that what they had was ultimately Hollywood, and that's where the name comes from. It is the holly tree, the wood of the holly tree, the wand that has deceived multiple generations uh, <laughs> since the inception of the town. Doc, I'm going to hand it over to you. I know I did a very cursory uh, walk through history, but perhaps we could pick up with the Druids and talk a little bit about the the Toyin tree and, and places like Stonehenge. Okay. Well, um, if we go back even further than what you had, John, we'd have to go back to the 900 B.C., where um, these nomadic tribal people known as the Celts made their way into ancient Brittany, and, of course, nowadays, um, modern-day Britain. They would inhabit the areas known as England, um, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, and literally speaking, um, this was a very barbaric, nomadic type of people, and like any other culture, they had a religious system, and this particular system was run by, as you pointed out, the ancient Druids. Now, the name Druid itself comes from the Gaelic, which means the men of oak, because these people... Um, in their um, system of witchcraft, which is still used by the Illuminati to this very day, um, Druids mean, uh, literally speaking, the men of oak. The oak tree was the sacred, the most sacred of all of their trees in existence. I mean, it was long-lived, it was as sturdy as a rock, which is why they chose that particular tree. Now, we go back to the Toyin tree, as you pointed out. Yes, that is the um, holly tree. And to this very day, holly is one of the three of the most sacred plants in the order of the Illuminati. And it is a very dangerous plant at that. I mean, the only thing I could think of off the top of my head that's probably more poisonous would be, um, oh, what's it called? Um... The mistletoe. Mistletoe, my goodness, you, you just take three of those berries, you could kill someone with them if you knew what you were doing. But anyway, so um, this was a very sacred plant.
to them. I mean, the only difference nowadays is instead of um, making the wand out of a toyin tree, modern day practice dictates you make your wand out of the birch tree. So um, when we're looking at the Hollywood aspect of this, my goodness, I mean, folks, it's uh, the Hollywood is right there in, you know, the title. You know, the usage of the old holly tree to make your wand out of. I mean, this this is so obvious, I don't see how anyone could really miss it. Oh, I like that um, photo you just put up. Interesting choice, John. Um, but <laughs> Thank you. The, but, but those pentagram, but those inverted pentagrams should be pointing up. That's the only thing I'll say on that. And we're gonna, and folks, we're gonna touch on symbolism with our special guest, Doc Marquis, this evening. And Doc, this is, this is exactly what I was hoping that we could do tonight is, you know, I've had the, the experience in Hollywood. I've seen things firsthand. But when we bring on a guest such as yourself, and, and really you, you stand alone in the, in the repertoire of Hagman guests because, um, you have that specific direct experience having come from a multi-generational witchcraft family. Now, if I may, Doc, before we can get back to Hollywood in a second, but we've picked up so many new listeners and viewers just in the last 12 months. We've been so blessed with our numbers. Would you mind just uh, letting the new people know a little bit about who you are and, and where you come from, and that way they'll, they'll be better enriched by the rest of our story? Okay, well, I'm not surprised that Doug and Joe have such um, an addition over the last year with their listening audience because you know, John, I have done more than a thousand radio shows in this life, and I can tell you categorically without fear of contradiction, the Hagman and Hagman Report has always been my absolute favorite radio show to do, and as I'd like to refer to Doug and Joe as, the dynamic duo of the radio airwaves. Well, that's but, very nice, Doc. Thank you. You know, you still owe me a cup of coffee. I I'm not know. I'm yeah, just going to okay. Amazon yeah. one to you. Yeah. <laughs> just don't think because I'm being nice to you, I forgot. <laughs> but for my background, folks, let's make this um, short and brief. I'll give you the Reader's Digest um, version. I was raised in an Illuminati family. Um... In other words, I was a practicing what's known as a Luciferian witch. In the, in the order of the Illuminati, you don't worship Satan, you worship Lucifer. And there is a big difference if you understand your occult, um, theology here. Well, anyways, um, so I went through the, I went through the uh, Illuminati ranch like anyone else except I had a major, major advantage. And that included over most of the leadership because you see, my family history at the time when I was practicing, I was a seventh generation Illuminati witch. My family roots go back into this all the way back to 1789. And I know more names, dates, places, times, events. I've got the dirt on just about anyone you could possibly come up with that's involved in the Illuminati. And so, Long and short of it, I I was in the Illuminati for, uh, I think it was 20, 20, 20 some odd years, and eventually what had happened, um, when I was in the military, a born-again Christian had invited me to um, one of their churches, you know, for church service, and I'm not going to say exactly what I said back then, but let's just say the answer was no. Um, The long and short of it is, 
for the next three years, no matter where I went, and I mean no matter how far I went, there were some born-again Christians just waiting in the rafters to witness to me. Well, finally, at the end of those three years, I understood what the Christians were saying in light of what I had been doing all along. So it was on April 15th, 1979. I will never forget that date. I walked into a Christian church, and I admit it, I was a sold-out slave of Satan. But God be praised on that same day, I left as a born-again child of the king. And for almost 40 years now, I had been fighting against the order of the Illuminati, exposing their plans for a new world order, um, the corruption in the government throughout the world that's involved in the Illuminati, you name it. That's what I've been doing. And as you can see at the screen right now, um, we have um, the front page of, of God's ministry. It's called It's a God Things Production. And um, this is what God has had me to do. I mean, I'm running one of his ministries as one of his overseers. And, um, yeah, we've got a new book also coming out. There it is. But basically, that's the long and short of it. Well, Doc, thank you so much. And, you know, one of the things, one of the key elements that you taught me, of course, we weren't acquainted at the time, but this goes back to late 2012. Uh, and this, folks, was really a baseline start point in my journey that ultimately ended in, in my being removed from a stage at Universal Security, having uh, I'd begun doing shows on the Hagman Report and other platforms about much of what uh, Doc Marquis and I are going to cover. Uh, but, Doc, one of the things that I, re I took away from probably the first time I ever heard you speak was that, and I hope you can touch on this a bit, the Luciferians counterfeit. They they counterfeit. They They take scripture and they take what is doctrinally proper, and they, they 180 it, correct? Oh, yes. Anything in just about any of the major occult religions will be based on either a direct reversal of something you'll find in the Bible or a perversion. And one quick example. In the Scripture, it teaches us to, I believe it's Romans 8, 1, it tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, notice it says to present our bodies a living sacrifice. In their cult, they kill you as, obviously, a dead sacrifice to their false god known as Lucifer. And that's basically how you're going to see things in the occult. It'll be either a, a direct reversal or a perversion of something you'll find in the scriptures. And they're very good at that perversion. Doc. Oh, very good. You know, these photos that um, I'm looking at right now um, are some of the ancient depictions of um, Moloch. Yep. Moloch. Um, um, you know that part of the scripture where it teaches us um, never to allow our sons or daughters to pass through the fire? Yeah. Yeah, it's yes. Yeah, it's, it's mentioned quite a number of times in the Bible. And you'll find... Um, um, one such place that was located in the Valley of Hinnom that is right outside of the gate of Jerusalem. If you just cross that um, little open parcel of land and go down, you'll go into the um, Valley of Hinnom where they used to sacrifice their children by making them walk into a fire pit or, as you can see in this photo here, they would take their newborn babies, put them 
on the hands of that idol um, that was called Moloch. Now, those hands usually were over a huge fire pit, so those hands were glowing red hot. And in this depiction, I noticed Moloch had two horns. Sometimes Moloch had one horn coming out of the center. Now, they would do this. Believe it or not, um, it was a quid pro quo religion. You give something to the god, they give something back. And in this case, Moloch would bless you financially speaking if you offered up a child to sacrifice. Now, you know that little spiraling gold um, horn or silver horn, sometimes it's red, that Italian people will wear? Oh, yeah. Um, it, yeah. That's known as the Italian horn. Some call it the unicorn horn. Some call it the leprechaun's wand. And if you ask an Italian why they wear it, they say, well, we're wearing it because we're going to receive a financial blessing. That horn comes direct, directly from the horn of Moloch. Doc, let me jump in quickly. Uh, I was able to pull up some scripture during your commentary, and, and this is a very serious um, direction, instruction from God. Now, I'm looking at Jeremiah chapter uh, 32, verse 35, and it says, quote, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Doc, I'm going to lay one more on, on the folks. This uh, from Leviticus. Uh, let me grab... Okay, and it says... Um, okay, and thou shalt not let any of the... I'm sorry, this is Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Pretty serious instructions, Doc. Oh, yeah, well, you have to back it up to verse um, 10 in Deuteronomy chapter 18 because it says there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire this was um, um, way back you know before Jeremiah was around this is one of the earliest warnings we were given about this practice unto this false god known as Moloch but as the point is as it says <laughs> Um, symbolically speaking, it's still going on today because that horn that is being worn by Italians and other people is still the same horn of Moloch. And notice the blessing is exactly as the parents expected back then. They are expecting a financial blessing to this very day. Excellent point, Doc. Let's let's go back to Hollywood for a moment. I want to I want to ask. Your impression now. Years ago, when uh, Harry Potter first became really, you know, a big popular franchise, I heard the the conservative uh, Christian remnant body, if you will, come down pretty hard on the films. Now, I was a backslider at the time, Doc, and I thought that they were being perhaps a little heavy-handed. Uh, the image we have up right now is from one of the Harry Potter films, and we see, of course, the the uh, the punctuating of a spell with the wand. Uh, Doc, can right. you just talk a little bit about 
uh, how how gently Hollywood conditions young, the young minds of our children, starting with things that I, I think many people in the church, if they're being honest with themselves, take their kids to see the Harry Potter films. What do you think? Well, as a matter of fact, let me tell you a story. This one um, lady, born again Christian, walked up to me and asked me if um, if I thought it would be okay uh, if children went to see this Harry Potter um, craze. I looked at her in the face. I said, does Harry Potter have witchcraft and any other part of the occult in it? She goes, yes, I'm going to. Well, there's your answer right there. And I found out next day she took the kids anyways. I think all she wanted was my validation to say, it's okay, go ahead and do it. No, I'm not about to do that. Um, in this photo I'm looking at, that's Hermione Granger holding her wand, casting a spell, there's no doubt of it. Um, you'll find out throughout the entire Harry Potter series, beginning with the first one, Harry Potter and the um, Philosopher's Stone. I think here in America it's called the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, I believe it's the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, in England it's called the Philosopher's Stone. The reason it's, it's it was properly referred to the Philosopher's Stone, um, there's an ancient belief that a true alchemist could make what was known as the Philosopher's Stone, and through that there was three things you could do. One of them was transmute um, lead into gold. The second one was to create what's known as a golem. A golem, you will find, is a creature in Jewish mysticism that you usually made out of clay. Um, it would be a big, tall figure if you did it right. And through the Philosopher's Stone, you could breathe life into the creature. And the third um, thing you can make from it would be known as the Elixir of Life. By drinking this elixir, you could prolong death from ever approaching to you. You could live literally forever if you kept making enough of the potion. Now, in um, the Harry Potter series, you'll find out that there was a particular alchemist slash wizard known as Nicholas Flamel. And he made the, um, was one of the few people who actually made the philosophy, um, the elixir of life through the Philosopher's Stone. And with this was revealed in the first movie, as I recall, um, Nicholas Flamel um, was 665 years old, and he would be celebrating his next birthday as 666. Coincidental or not? I don't know. But I find it very interesting that he would be celebrating his 666th birthday. And in the storyline, it's also believed that um, Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster of um, the Wizarding School, he himself um, had also um, partaken of the of the um, potion of life. Now, as far as the whole of the um, Harry Potter thing goes, well, the very first three movies were made with um, the kids in mind. The reason is because the kids would really want to go see these things and mom and dad have the money to take them. And um, as far as from the children aspect goes, oh yeah, these were very, very well um, written, very engaged movies and such. Um, and so the children, um, they would um, beg their parents to um, take them. Now, it wasn't until 
the fourth book in this eight-book series, that things began to take a dark turn. And that's, you know, when you find out about, you know, the real rise of Lord Voldemort, what had happened in the first war against them, and everything. I mean, it really, really gets dark. And the um, movies themselves wouldn't be anything without the books. And what was really interesting about um, these books is that, of course, um, well, books um, of this size and nature and expense usually are, are um, bought by adults. So you're bringing in a lot of cash now from the adult world. We're talking about, you know, let's face it, Harry Potter through the books and the movies alone, and we're not even counting the merchandise now, is a billion-dollar industry. They've even got, you know, the Harry Potter theme park over at University Studios now in um, Florida. Indeed. This is how, this is how big a phenomenon just one aspect of the occult world has become. And quite honestly, I have been expecting things like this to happen. We find out in Revelation 18.23b, Excuse me. Um, the prophecy tells us, um, for by thy sorceries will all nations deceive. Now, it doesn't say part of the nations or some of the nations. It said all nations of the world are going to be deceived through the occult, and it's all going to be handed over to the Antichrist. Now, in order for that future prophecy to be fulfilled, you and I and Joe and, and Doug must see these are um, a resurgence in the ancient occult practices greater now in all of recorded human history. We are seeing the cause of that prophecy. We, are, we see the cause. That prophecy will be fulfilled. This is why that prophecy is there, and this is why the whole of the world is going to be primed and readied um, for all the ancient occult religions so that it can be hope, um, handed over to the Antichrist because at that point it will be one occult religious system. And that's what we're looking at right now. This resurgence of the ancient occult religions greater now than all of recorded human history. That's fascinating. You know, Doc... Uh you, we've got a nice segue. Uh, we've got a few minutes until we go out to break. Um, let's let's uh, segue off of Harry Potter. Um, uh, in our last few minutes of this hour, can you explain to us a little bit about the the symbol that we're seeing uh, that the folks joining us on YouTube Live are seeing this this Baphomet sign, if you will? Because when we come back from break, I'm going to demonstrate how prevalent this sign is, even in uh, Disney animation cells. But perhaps, Doc, uh, you could explain where this comes from. Why is it evil? Well, what's the deal? Well, when we look at that um, statue of the goat, that's not the Baphomet. That's the mezzanine goat. Okay. You know, yeah, it's made up of... Um, um, notice um, his right hand on your left-hand side is pointing up, and the other one is pointing down... And my goodness, there's another old goat on the screen right now. Anyways, um, this um, um, 
um, mezzanine goat, or what's also known as a hermaphroditic um, goat, is made up of both the male and female sexes. One arm points up, pointing towards um, um, the spirit world. The other hand points down towards the physical universe, which shows, you know, symbolically speaking, the old occult axiom, as above, so below. In other words, nothing starts on the earth physically happen, you know, physically speaking, unless it started in the spirit world first. Now notice, in between the two horns, which you find on the original um, brazen statues of Moloch, there is the light. There is a torch there. It is the torch or the light of illumination. And this was originally drawn by Elithus Levi in the 18th century, who was a 32nd or 33rd degree Mason. And don't be surprised it was a Mason who did this, folks, because it was back in 1786 at the famous Congress at Willenbad, Germany, that um, representatives from the 23 Supreme Masonic Councils of the World at the time, they met with um, Baron Anna von Koenig, who was the right-hand man of Dr. Adam Weishaupt, who started and created the Order of the Illuminati. They met with Koenig for 30 different sessions. And after the conclusion of those 30, se 30 different sessions, the, those um, Masonic leaders um, signed a, a blood contract vowing to follow the Illuminati's seven-part plan towards the creation of the Novus Ordo Seclorum or the New World Order. That's where you get this from. Okay. And it's amazing. the, uh, And we've known this throughout the history of the occult and scripture, the amount of symbolism that's used, especially in, in, the, in the occult. This is one of the main ways that they communicate and but you know before even the the written word right? maybe not the written word it's as old as as basically as time itself or humans existence on this yeah. earth right it goes all the way back to babylon itself the tower of babylon nimrod on the plains of shinar all that oh yeah this is the old stuff this is the ancient of ancient it doesn't get older than this and that's why you know we see with all these secret societies and you, know, you see certain numbers that appear frequently all the time, you know, like 11, 33, 32. It's the same thing with the sim uh, symbolic nature of symbols or the, the nature of symbols where we, they're, they're one of the oldest forms of communication. And unless you're initiated, as they say, you won't even know that it's a, a method of communication or what it means unless you're, right. you know, a member of the club. Exactly. Even in the Masonic writing, it teaches us that um, um, those people who first entered into Masonry, they're shown simple. They're shown a series of symbols. They believe that this is the true meaning of the symbol, but they don't realize that there's um, depths and different meanings to the same symbol. And you only learn that the higher you get into Masonry, or if you would also in the Illum in the Illuminati. Okay. And John, do you have something to say? Oh no, I'm I'm okay. just listening. I'm fascinated. But Doc, thank you for taking us back to and that's what we want to do tonight, folks, is give you some context going all the way back to seventeen eighty six. Adam Weishaupt is a name that you will hear often. 
Uh, we'll pick this up on the other side. I'm going to hand it back to Joe. But, you know, interestingly, we talk about the counterfeit. We talk about the 180, the flipping of Scripture and all that is holy. Adam Weishaupt actually began his life, if I'm not mistaken, Doc, uh, in uh, in the priesthood. Yes, he was a Jesuit priest, and he held the chair of the professorship of Jewish canon law at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria, Germany. Yeah. Folks, we're talking with Doc Marquis. It's a God Thing Productions, 777.com. He's going to be with us through the next hour. Just want to use this time to give people a quick reminder of some of the other things going on here in the Hagman Studios. Check out our daily show, The Doug Hagman Show, which is on 9 to 10, Eastern, on Global Star Channel 3, and on Blog Talk Radio. And you can listen to the archive on Blog Talk Radio or get the podcast from iTunes or any podcast applications, as well as The Hagman Daily Show with John and myself, 2 to 3 p.m. each weekday. And we are, what well, we're, we just launched our fifth week today. And it's been, it's been really fun. It's, uh, we're getting into a lot of diverse topics, at least on our show, the Hagman Daily Show. And I know my father's been doing a real good job with investigative reporting. And there's tons of information you can find in his show, especially today. Peter Chowka wanted me to mention, uh, to all people to listen to the Doug Hagman show from today, that it's chock full of important information. Our guest is Doc Marquis. He will be with us through the next hour, taking us to the end of the show. Don't go anywhere. On this Monday, August 21st, 2017, we will be right back after these messages. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Final hour on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Doc Marquis is our guest, and we got another hour of great content for you. Um, folks, again, check out our two new shows, the Hagman Daily Show and the Doug Hagman Show. The Doug Hagman Show airs 9 to 10 Eastern Time in the morning, and the Hagman Daily Show airs 2 to 3 p.m., and both are available on Global Star Radio Channel 3, as well as live and archived via Blog Talk Radio. Doc, it's uh, we we covered a lot of ground in hour number two. Anywhere specific you want to start in this hour? No, I I, I thought um, um, we, we still had you know um, more of this slide presentation to go through. Absolutely, Doc. Let's let's uh, I want to pick your brain a little bit. Now you were explaining uh the the symbolic importance of the of the goat of the hermaphrodite goat. Oh, the uh, mezzanine goat. Yes, and and I wonder if we could segue from there into uh, this symbol that 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 people. I was born in 1972. Tend to equate with like rock and roll or or bang your head. You know the music scene, rock and roll. Now, for those of uh, those joining us on our YouTube live stream, uh, you're seeing a split image of uh, Anton Lavey, the founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco. And then on the other, uh, on the left side of the image, is a scene from Aladdin when he when he's bringing forth the genie out of the lamp, and the first thing that comes out of the lamp in a puff of smoke is this symbol. Doc, can you educate us a little bit? Where did this come from? Is it is it truly an evil symbol? And why do we see people from Anton Lavey to even heads of the Catholic Church making this sign, Doc? Well, um, the symbol that um, LeVay on the right-hand side is making is known as the um, hook and horn or the satanic horn. Now, if that is facing, you know, like parallel to the plane, that's known um, as the Il Conuto. That would be um, the way um, um, the Italians or anyone from that region would make a symbol to curse you with. 
Um, the one um, that you saw with um, um, Aladdin, if, if we all take a good look at that, again, that is what some people call the hook and horn or the satanic horns or the horns of Lucifer. That, um, as I said, that's what the symbols there mean. Now, if the thumb covers the two little fingers that are bent, no, excuse me, if the um, thumb is completely out, as you see with the Latin and the two fingers in the center are bent down, and that's, and Doc, I'm gonna, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a slide of of Hillary Clinton, I believe, making the same gesture. Tell me if this is correct. With the two fingers and then the thumb completely out, projected away from her palm. Okay, um, I'm waiting for it to appear on my other computer right now because right now, um, some of the ones that are appearing on my laptop um, are whited out like this one right now. It's okay. either two, yeah. But um, the one with the Latin. Okay. Well, no, no, excuse me. If um, if the um, the one in the Latin, the one you're looking at right now, you see, I still sign, and that is an abbreviation for the sim for three words, which is I love you. That's what the um, Aladdin one is. The one that um, LeVay's making is the best. Is that's the um, satanic one? The one that um, um. Hillary is making, it looks like she was in the middle of clasping her hands. It looks like um, that picture was taken in the middle. So, so, it looks so like that may be was, an error. It looks like she was about to make the satanic um, symbol herself. Okay. And uh, and since we are, since the the vast majority of those who join us every evening do so on one of our audio feeds, either on Blog Talk Radio or Global Star Radio, that's our satellite uplink folks. Uh, and then many, many uh, uh, people catch us in archive on uh, iTunes and any number of the other popular platforms. I'm just going to, to verbalize uh, a little bit of what we're discussing so it's not image dependent, but uh, I am placing up on the screen uh, animation cells from uh, the Disney film Beauty and the Beast, uh, you can clearly see this symbol, this hook and horns that our guest Doc Marquis is explaining. Again, uh, this from Alice in Wonderland, the same sign. And then I also included in these slides uh, many notable world leaders. Uh, the, the, the most disturbing to me is, is the Pope uh, making this sign, apparently with one of his cardinals somewhere in Asia. Uh, I also included uh, Jamie Foxx making the symbol very distinctly. Now, of course, we want to remember Jamie Foxx, who it's really sad because I actually enjoyed his performance in the music biopic Ray that came out about 10 years ago. But he was the one who, who fam infamously quoted our Lord and Savior, Barack Obama, uh, to any Christian with discernment. I mean, that made the hair on my arms uh, just stand up straight. Uh, but, Doc, it seems to me that there's something going on here with the animation, with working these uh, potentially very wicked symbols into animation. I'm putting up a slide now of Walt Disney's signature. Now, many of our listeners and viewers have seen this. It's, it's, it's been all over the Internet. Uh, I always want to be careful about too much conjecture. For everything you read that suggests Walt Disney was a nefarious person, there's something else you read that's a total counterpoint to that, and it's very hard to get 
to the bottom of who he really was. But but in in much of the uh, Disney content, really going back to the 1960s and 70s particularly, there's all kinds of really trashy, in some cases pornographic, and as I've demonstrated in some of these slides tonight, uh, suggestive stuff. And Doc, I thought, I don't know if you'll be able to see this or not, but uh, this is from well, one yes, of the I'm, older Disney cartoons. Yes, I'm, I'm quite familiar with that one. With uh, with one of uh, Scrooge McDuck's little nephews, and then the sign behind him says, it, it appears, folks, to be an optics, uh, uh, an eye chart that you would have in a doctor's chart. office. And it, it spells out, ask about Illuminati. Now, Doc, do you think that this is intentional? Is Are, are there powerful, multi-generational witchcraft families behind this? Or are these just Disney animators that are ignorant and playing around? Well, no. You see, um, I, I, let me just go back quickly. The uh, son that um, Jamie Foxx was using, that is the true um, symbol of Satanism. Um, the one about the Pope and it looked like a cardinal. Notice how they were just about parallel to the plane. Yes. As I said before, that's the symbol you use when you're. It's known as the Il Cornuto. That's when you're casting a curse. So, okay, and so 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 we're literally seeing the Pope and a cardinal casting a curse on the church. That's, that's the exact hand gesture, the exact symbol you use to cast a curse with. And not surprising because remember before, as I said, this is Italian stuff, you know. Um, and um, um, re remember the old joke um, when a person wanted um, um, the um, yes for an affirmative answer, they used to go as a Pope Italian. Remember that one? <laughs> yes, I remember that, sure. Right, of course, you know, and that's why, you know, the symbolism fits in perfectly with the Vatican because this is one of the oldest hand gestures. About, uh, from the Il Canuto or, you know, to place a curse. Um, going back with what we just saw with Disney, that very first one, that girl on the on our right-hand side, yes, that was the um, symbol of Satanism. Um, what we just saw um, um, with that Ask um, the Illuminati, I've caught others in these Disney films. Um, do you know that... Um, old TV series that had um, what was that? Um, it was with Zach and Cody mocked and what was that called? Oh, you know, I actually uh, this, worked I worked for the company this, that produced that yeah, series. This the Sweet Life. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's okay, a, div I'm, a division of Disney. Uh, it's a right, live production. In in that one, um, I, I've got a particular photo of the scene that they were doing in that classroom. And they and they're both about a foot apart, maybe two at the most. Well, if look if you look in between them on the blackboard, it it spells out the Illuminati. So so Doc, what can we what can we make of this? Now, uh, I want to ask you this question, and then we're going to take a look at at even just the blatant corporate symbols that come out of Hollywood. But but what? I mean, is that effective, or is it, is it? I mean, it almost seems kind of kitschy in a way, but it must it must just be that that controlled conditioning. I'm assuming. Well, well, by itself, um, nothing would happen. However, when you take the kids and you expose them constantly every day to these things, which you you find mainly on um, Disney or um, the Nickelodeon channel. Oh yes. Yeah, you will find the kids are being inundated day in and day out with the stuff. And the reason is because 
they're the ones that's going to be the adults, if you would, or the um, young adults by the time the tribulation period hits. And so at that point, they're going to be conditioned to accept this Antichrist person. Wow. So this, so this is not only controlled conditioning, it's controlled conditioning on the perceived timeline to the tribulation uh, oh, as perceived well, by the practitioners of Luciferian witchcraft. If I had time, I would get into their timelines and what they expect by, you know, certain dates, like, you know, um, t between 2028 to 2030, so on and so forth. I mean, I still remember the timelines and the goals and everything that are supposed to be accomplished by that timeline. These things are very carefully orchestrated and prepared. They have had plans that are sometimes 75 to over 100 years um, in the making. However, the Illuminati don't even um, think about that twice, you know. You and I would because 100 years, I'm going to be dead. <laughs> but in the order of the Illuminati, you have to understand they don't believe in heaven or hell. They believe that when you die, you're going to go into the in-between place known as Somerset. You'll wait there for a while, however long. You'll get back on the wheel of life, and you'll come back through the process of reincarnation. And the Illuminati, since they believe in that, they don't care how long their uh, plans are going to take because they're going to come back to fulfill them anyway. Wow. Okay. Now, Doc, let's use that to segue into some of this specific symbolism. Can you see uh, the the symbol that is that is up presently? This is very yeah, ubiquitous. It was all over one of Katy Perry's big yeah, hit that, videos a couple that's years the ago. Ancient, that's the ancient um, symbol for Ba. But <laughs> excuse me. Um, if you note, what's very interesting is that's a left-hand eye. That means um, the person or persons who use that symbol follow the left-hand path or the dark side of the occult. In other words, Lucifer. And, and interestingly, this, this symbol, if I'm reading it correctly, breaks down into the different sensations that really, you know, in some total make us human. It's, there's, there's representation of smell, sight, thought, hearing, taste, and touch in this in this symbol, but what troubles right. me, Doc, is, and for those who are not joining us on the YouTube live stream, uh, when we look at the symbol for Time Warner Cable, are we not seeing a representation of the Eye of Ra? Right. That's exactly what you're looking at. So it's, it's that obvious. It's that in our face. It's, it's, it's this ancient occult symbolism. Demonic. I mean, you can just, you can almost, I feel badly in a way even putting these images up on, on the show, but I want to educate people, and sometimes the only way to, to nudge people to understand is you, you've, you've got to show, show them the gutter. So, so Time Warner Cable uh, adopt this as their logo. Doc, well, you look, mentioned... Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look sure. at the spiraling symbol. Yes. Okay? The symbol itself um, is symbolic of what's known as the spiral dance. The spiral dance is the... Is the um, um, the dance that will be performed in witchcraft so that when the people reach the end, they will release up and through what's known as a cone of power 
whatever power they're releasing and that power will manifest into the spell and the spell itself will be cast and perform whatever it is they want it to do. But it must be done through, um, if you have a coven, it must be done through the spiral band. My that goodness. Symbol, okay. That symbol is also the symbol of arcane powers. Okay, so you just, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm up to wait, speed wait, with wait, you. Wait, 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 wait. But now that I see it, but it's also, you notice, um, the eye, it also forms. This arcane power comes from Lucifer according to this symbol. Now does that, okay, so Doc, let's, let's tie this into, I, I've seen one of your videos on this. How to uh, explain to folks, and, and, and again, I chose, uh, symbols that we're all very familiar with. So folks, we've been talking about the, the ancient symbol for Ra. Uh, and then the blue elliptical Time Warner cable symbol. You're all very familiar with that. I'm now going to place on the screen the back of our dollar bill. Doc, we all, is, is it, is it, is it a stretch to say that we are all carrying Luciferian script in our wallets with what's on the back of, of the dollar bill? And does that eye at the top of the pyramid somehow relate to the Time Warner symbol and the eye of Ra? Okay, let me tell you how detailed this um, dollar bill is. These, um, the two symbols, um, the um, seal of the pyramid and the other one would be the eagle seal, are the two um, um, seals of the order of the Illuminati, and I can prove it. Um, above that truncated um, capstone is the left-handed eye of Lucifer. Um, dividing above the capstone and the writing beneath the um, foundation of the pyramid is Latin. It's annuit corruptus novus ordus equorum, which translated from the Latin means announcing the birth of a new world order. The base of the pyramid is made up of Roman numerals. It gives the year of the foundation of that um, order, and that is 1776. Um, and I can show you on DVD 1 in my series called The um, Secrets of the Illuminati um, that the specific date it is talking about on that pyramid is May 1st, 1776, which is the exact founding date of the Order of the Illuminati. On that symbol and on the other um, symbol, the eagle symbol, there are three hexagrams. The hexagram is made up of a six-pointed star with a circle around it. It is the foulest, the most evil of all symbols in existence. Nothing can touch it. And you need that symbol if you're going to literally summon to this plane of existence a demon. And there are three of them on those two seals. Three sixes make up a six-six-six. And on the back of that sim of that um, particular um, dollar bill, it is literally laced. And I show this in DVD 1, which is called The Bible of the Antichrist. That particular um, dollar bill, well, the American dollar bill, is literally covered with um, um, winged demons plus um, owls. And on the front of that symbol, there is also a hidden Illuminati owl. The owl itself is the totem animal of the Illuminati which um, means um, wisdom. And this is where you get the word Illuminati or Illuminism from. It means the bearers of light or the wise ones. This um, seal 
And the other one, as I said before, those are the seals of the Order of the Illuminati, and I can prove this. Well, Doc, let's let's okay. You're you're on fire now. Yeah. Let's jump over while we're on the pyramidic uh, geometry. Let's take a look at the Paramount Pictures uh, symbol. It's been around for a hundred years. It is the the pyramid structure. The A that says A Paramount Picture, the, the single letter A, to me is representative of that left eye of Lucifer. And I did a little research on this. I was curious. There are 24 stars, and there and and in every version, in every modernization of the Paramount Picture symbol, there's always the A above the peak of the mountain. There's always that pyramidic mountain, and there's always 24 stars. Doc, what's with the 24 stars? And is this yet again another uh, Luciferian uh, symbol that we've all just adopted and we recognize as a movie studio? It is, because the thing is, you see, um, you've heard of the, um, the um, system known as numerology, right? Yes. Numerology is where you assign numbers to letters. Now, there is a second um, system known as gematria. Gematria will give you the definition to those numbers. In this case, um, 24 and it's perfect um, <coughs> when we're looking at Paramount because 24 is the number for the priesthood. And in this case, um, um, because we're talking beyond the mountain, um, that's in reference to the old uh, mountain known as Mount Moriah, the conquering wind or the conquering force. Really? And, yes, and that's what where the priesthood um, comes from or believes. Um, they came from the um, the old conquering mountain, the conquering force, and that's one of the three terms that's commonly used in um, the Illuminati to describe, um, you know, Luciferian witchcraft, um, the force, the old religion, or um, 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 uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Um, well, the mountain, you know, Mount Moriah. Yeah, the, um, and the uh, the old religion. Thank you. There it is. Well, okay, Doc, now I'm curious about this one. I've heard you mention, and and I would assume most of our listeners and viewers are curious about this as well. For those who are with us via audio feed, and by the way, folks, you can access this in archive on uh, on our YouTube channel. It'll be up and through post-production tomorrow, so you can uh, go back and take a look at some of the, the images that we're discussing. But I think most of these are ubiquitous enough that we're familiar with them. Now, Doc, I'm going to place up on the screen one of the early logos for Columbia Pictures. And I thought we could talk for a few minutes about who the heck is Columbia? I mean, uh, the capital of our nation is called the District of Columbia. Here she is, the bearer of light. Somehow the Statue of Liberty ties into all of this. And is this, in fact, ISIS? Yes. The old um, goddess of, um, um, of illumination, um, the goddess of um, hidden occult wisdom and knowledge, um, she is um, also associated, you know, um, with um, 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 uh, let me think, um, Paulus Athena. Um, you know, when you get into the different um, cultures throughout the world, you see the one thing I try to get people to understand: when this um, occult system. Now, understand, folks, um, the occult religion is the uh, witchcraft in particular is 
the oldest religion on the face of the earth. I mean, we're talking about it predates Judaism by at least 1,500 to 1,800 years old. See, a lot of people think Judaism is the first religion. It is not. It is witchcraft. It comes before it by, as I said, about 15 to 1,800 years before it. Now, once God um, struck all the people at Babylon who was worshiping Moloch, and he confused their language, well, the people dispersed upon the face of the earth. Now, the question is, do you think any of them forgot their occult religion when they went throughout the world? Of course not. They took it with them and, you know, established new um, cultures, new nations and countries. I mean, after Babylon, um, you'll find the next major culture that was worshipping, you know, false gods and things like that would have been the Egyptians. Then after that, it would have been the, um, the Medo-Persians or the Mesopotamians. Um, or um, after that, then, of course, we get into Greece, into Rome. Then after that, we're looking at, you know, um, England, Ireland, you know, with the Druids and their methodology. And, of course, once, you know, it was brought here to America, you know, we um, fell back to a lot of the old religions, such as Judaism, Shamanism, which had already been here. But um, then we look at a lot of the um, people who worship the earth, um, the white witches, as they like to call themselves, or the um, dire worshippers, things like that. But all these things have a root. And those and every single religion, I am not kidding, involved in the occult, you can trace it all the way back to the um, practice of witchcraft that was going on at ancient Babylon under um, the co-founders of this religion known as Nimrod and his mother Semiramis. Exactly. And you know, Doc, we've got some time here and I know that this is we want to be careful because we want we don't want to open up a, an enormous can of worms that we can't clean up in the segment that we have remaining, but uh in Hollywood we call it the monomyth. Uh why don't you take a few moments? You you you've taken us back to ancient Babylon to Nimrod and Semiramis. I know you know this story well, and I think we can wrap up much of what we've discussed thus far this evening in so doing. Again, in Hollywood, the writers use the literary term monomyth. But, Doc, if I'm not mistaken, and I want to give a quick uh, tip of the hat to Paul McGuire as well, because I learned much of this from him and much of it from you, Doc. But is it not true that there is a, a sort of a, a god-king um, story that runs through all of the ancient cultures right up to our culture today. And in fact, these, uh, these, I guess, principalities is what they would be. These, these little G gods, these, these Luciferian gods simply come back again and again and again throughout time. But, but on a spiritual level, by spiritual definition, is it true that we're actually dealing with the same satanic construct that's just being used to deceive a different generation? and a different culture in a different time. Well, yes. At, at, yes, because as I said before, when we go back to ancient Babylon and we see how the occult religion went through Egypt and Mesopotamia, so on and so forth, nothing changed. The ancient religion was still the same way except the names were changed due to cultural linguistics. In other words, however the name would have been said in that particular tongue. But the practice did not change. It's been the same since Babylon, 
But the problem was this global system, it was supposed to be a global one under Lucifer, was never actualized because God intervened at the Tower of Babylon. However, um, in 1773, after Dr. Adam Weishaupt became a defrocked Jesuit priest, he wanted revenge. And at the same time, he was being studied very carefully by um, an English lord known as Baron Adam, I mean Baron um, Meyer Amschel, um, Bauer, who would later change his last name Bauer to Rothschild. Sound familiar? Oh, indeed it does. The, uh-huh. the, the, the family that controls the international banking cartels that place, again, folks, uh, what Doc Marquis has identified in no uncertain terms, basically Luciferian script uh, by way of our dollar bill in all of our wallets and purses. And I'll extrapolate that even a little bit more. You know, I had this thought a few months back, Doc, and it troubled me. Uh, often you'll go into a church and the pastor will be uh, preaching from his MacBook, from his computer, rather than from, you know, an actual an actual Bible, the actual book itself. Yeah. Yeah. And and it yes. occurred to me, and and to and to be completely clear, I mean, Macs are what run media. You know, we all use Macs here in the studio. But it occurred to me, Doc, and I'd like to get your your take on this, that that the flock. Uh, unbeknownst to themselves, are actually sitting in front of a pulpit with a with a a lit symbol of an apple with a bite taken out of it. That's what they're <laughs> all focusing their gaze on while they pass the plate around and pour in the Luciferian script. Am I being a little too severe here, Doc? No, because the apple in symbolism is the forbidden fruit. It wasn't an apple that Eve bit. But if we go by the mythos and the symbolism, it was an apple that she received um, um, that she wasn't supposed to receive. You know, it it was the, um, she ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The other tree would have made um, both her and Adam immortal. And um, God um, intervened and made sure that did not happen in time. But that um, apple is used um, to represent, um, symbolically speaking, that torch of illumination, which which is hidden wisdom and knowledge. That's what the apple symbolizes. All that's happened is that, again, it was transferred and transliterated into the occult world. Instead of it being um, an apple... And the Illuminati, it became um, the, um, the symbol of the torch. And it is the same torch that is used in the Olympic Games. And that's the same torch you will see in um, a lot of these um, movie figures. You know, those ladies that's holding them up before, you know, the movie begins. Some are holding a torch, some are holding a blazing symbol or something. Well, that's yeah, like the Colum- like the Columbia Pictures, now, now Sony Pictures, but th- their symbol, that's been around for a hundred years. Yes, it's the same symbol, the Torch of Illumination. They hid in wisdom, they hid in occult knowledge. That's what the symbol is, that's what it means, and they are called to this very day. 
And folks, there there you have it. Now we've got one segment left, Doc, and, and here's what I'd like to do uh, with your permission. We would be remiss if we didn't take a few minutes tonight, uh, and I'm really going to just let you roll on this, but we need to talk about the multi-generational practice of baby breeding uh, in order that these innocent lives may be sacrificed in, in in my understanding, I thought it was a, uh, from the Canaanites. You corrected me several months ago in a private conversation. You said, John, it actually goes all the way back to ancient Babylon. Uh, uh, it's the Babylonian. Yes, sir. And, and Doc, I know this is a, a subject that I've discussed a few times on air and a few times at conferences. I'm always a little uncomfortable with it, frankly. But this is going on today. It still happens in Hollywood. And I know that rather than me give a well-researched dissertation on it, you actually have personal insight into this based on the family that you were raised in. So I'd like to, I'd like for you to please take about 10, maybe 12 minutes. Tell us about what baby breeding is and what happens to these innocent lives. And then I'd like to save the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show to just talk about your personal testimony, how Christ redeemed you, so we can take this out on an up note tonight. How's that sound? Sounds fine. Let's do it. Okay. Um, there is a practice in the occult world that's known as breeding. For those of you who don't know about this, um, well, you better sit back and hold on tight, because you see, um, to this very day in um, America and throughout the world, the practice of human sacrifice goes on to this very day. Quite honestly, folks, if it didn't, you wouldn't see all this occult symbols and um, hidden symbolism in all the movies, TV shows, and other things you're being entertained with. With um, breeders in particular, um, there are females in um, various occult groups, including the Illuminati, who are taught it is the highest honor that a female can do is to have a baby that will be used as a sacrifice to their god known as Lucifer. This is considered for a female the highest honor you could possibly do. And it's through the same practice. Now understand one thing, folks. And I hate to put it to you this way, but if you're going to understand truth, it's going to hurt. In the occult world, um, in order for a sacrifice to be proper... Um, properly done and accepted by Lucifer. Um, the, um, the person must feel pain and there must be blood spilt. Those are the two requirements. Now, there are eight nights in which human sacrifice is practiced in the Illuminati to this very day. Now, if we go by FBI statistics now, it is estimated every year a million people are reported mi missing. However, 900,000 of them are, are, you know, are eventually found. You know, most of the time it was just one of those mistakes or something like that. The problem is there's still 100,000 that are never seen of again. Take a guess where they've ended up. Well, anyways, so knowing that um, um, sacrifices require these two necessary elements, um, to have pain inflicted and to have blood spilled. This is why, especially during the um, late 60s, early 70s, the Illuminati was funneling, literally speaking, tens of millions of dollars 
into creating abortion clinics. Globally speaking, since um, Roe versus Wade, the decision, there has been, as I said globally, 1.25 billion babies sacrificed to Lucifer. Think about the way they murder these kids. They will use a saline solution and then um, pull the poor little thing out in pieces or they will just, you know, um, um, use um, certain um, medications to kill the kid, then pull them out in pieces. In either case, that child in the womb is suffering pain and blood is being spilt. This is considered a right and proper sacrifice to Lucifer. That's why the Illuminati pushed for um, abortion clinics and spent that much money so that they could reenact the old sacrifices to Moloch. With breeders, as I said, this is considered the highest honor that they can do. And in any coven, any Luciferian coven, depending on the size, you'll have about 10 to 12 breeders whose um, sole existence is to basically have one baby after the other to be sacrificed on the altar of Lucifer. And this practice obviously is ongoing today just in different ways. And as you rightly pointed out, Doc, you would look at the uh, abortion today and what they're able to get away with and the number of uh, babies that are aborted each and every year. I mean, this yeah. is being done on a much larger scale than people who established these practices ever probably would have dreamed of in this day and age without using, without being out in the open with it. They're able to well, to hide it, conceal yeah. it, camouflage yeah, it. That's right, because why hide it or conceal it when you can legalize it? Exactly right. You know, and that's the problem. People don't understand the occult. People don't understand the hows and whys things are done in the occult. So when we come up, supposedly, with um, these new ideas like abortion, if you would, or these abortion clinics, and people are just thinking, now I want you to think about this for a second. The people are now being told, this is just a fetus. We don't say it's a child. We just say it's a fetus. You know, why give it humanity? Because if you give it humanity, then it has feelings. It's a person then. No. Change the wording. Call it a fetus. Call it an undeveloped whatever. This way you strip away the humanity and the people go in thinking, oh, I'm just getting rid of a fetus or something that, you know, isn't whatever. Yet, it is still a human sacrifice offering going by all the accepted ways you sacrifice any child or adult on the altar of Lucifer. Every single one of them fulfills all the requirements for a human sacrifice. So I don't care if they want to say it's a fetus or all this. That's a human being God himself said, before you were formed, I knew you. Amen. This is what God says. And I don't care what anyone else has to say about this. You don't have to accept 
on the occult practice of the way they do human sacrifice. I don't care if you want to believe it or not, because the truth is, this is how it's done. I don't care if you want to believe in God or not, because God himself said, even before you were created in your mother's womb, I knew you. These things, folks, we've got to learn about, and for the Christians especially, we've got to wake up while we still have some time left, because I'm going to tell you right now, folks, people are going straight to hell in a handbasket with the rest of this world, while the Christians are sitting in those buildings, holding hands, singing Kumbaya. And tell me, what good is that going to do when people are, you know, just, you know, standing around in their little Christian comfort zone saying, don't you dare confuse with me the truth, while they're sitting, you know, um, on the, you know, in the pews on their blessed assurances getting their Sunday morning fix. If you're not out there trying to make a difference, what are you doing then? So, Doc, we've, amen, brother, amen. I mean, we've, we've, we've gone into some pretty, uh, significant detail about the the not only the luciferian controlled conditioning of hollywood tonight and 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 folks tonight is about hollywood but we could do this show about wall street we could do it about madison avenue we could certainly do a a a, a couple of years straight of shows about washington dc these are the pillars of control and these are the these are the machines that amplify the agenda that amplify the narrative. So, Doc, what do you, what would your message be uh, as we begin to wrap things up here this evening for people who didn't know a lot of this about Hollywood? For uh, some people listening tonight, have definitely had an oh my gosh moment, and they're feeling convicted, and they they don't know they they're not certain if what we're saying is true, but they're they're maybe their discernment tachometers over in the red zone. Um, advice? Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Learn as much as you can about the symbolism, the truth of these matters and such, because you never know who you're going to come across when you're witnessing, or if you ever have the chance to witness. Now, that's not to say I want you to go out and hunt these people down. No. Most of the time, you've probably already come across them, but you don't know it. It's the same thing with Christians. Remember how the Bible tells us um, to be um, um, good to strangers because you could be entertaining an angel without realizing it. And the same thing is, is, is in this situation. You have probably, without realizing, um, have come across someone in the occult or someone in the Illuminati by now. As I said, don't go hunt them down. Most More than likely, you already have come across them. How are you presenting your life to these people? Are you presenting your life no better than someone who lives in the world, or are you presenting your life as someone who can't wait to get to the next world, to God? This is what you must ask yourself, especially when you're meeting a stranger. How are you representing your life to these strangers? This is what you meet, what what you need to ask yourself, and don't forget, as I said before, you've got to educate yourself to the truth 
of what's really going on. I mean, my goodness, folks, why do you think I'd like all these DVDs and put all this information in it? Trust me, I can have a much happier life, you know, um, instead of trying to expose the dark underbelly of the truth of what's going on here. But it is my responsibility also to educate you to these truths because I was part of the lie. I was in it. I know what they did. I know what they do. And I'm trying to wake all of you folks up to the truth of what's going on before it's too late. Amen. Now, Doc, you you have uh, really a fine repertoire. You have a, a, an amazing collection of tools that people can use to become educated. And, and to do so, I mean, we're all busy, but uh, I've seen a number of your DVDs. Uh, and, you know, folks, you can pop one of these in after work one night or you can watch it on a you know Saturday morning or whatever. But, Doc, I know you've been uh, making uh, DVDs, uh, really profound documentary-style work for a number of years. Now, of course, you've got your new book out as well. And let's let's talk about some tools that people can use uh, after they check out with us this evening. Because, again, I, I sense that a lot of our listeners and viewers on our YouTube uh, video stream are probably feeling a little bereft right now. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody, everybody to a degree, likes going to the movies. You get your big bucket of popcorn. You get your big 60-ounce high-fructose corn syrup GMO fluoridated <laughs> thing. And you sit in the dark, and you're you're carried away. And And so... You know, Doc, you make some pretty good documentary films, and you've got this new book out, and I just would encourage you to take a few moments uh, to talk about some of these tools that people can use, because one of the things that I think has made the Hagman Report a success over the last six and a half years, and, and we've really uh, obtained longevity that can only be a blessing directly from God, um, is that is that we stand as, as best we can. Now, we don't always get it right, but we really do stand on the front line as much as we possibly can. Sometimes it hurts us all deeply. I mean, we take we, we get a lot of scuffs and scrapes. All Everyone on this team does. But what we're trying to do, in as much as God will allow us to do so, and I want to give all the glory to him. This is not about me or Joe or Doug or Eric. This is, this is an anointing that God... Uh, gives to us and and it's not because we deserve it either it's just because we're trying to be faithful to the mission here but doc i think one of the things that's kept this show vibrant and growing is that be it through hollywood politics the federal reserve health and nutrition family issues the news of the day we're we're all we're simply trying to do is prove to people the reality that what you're witnessing day in and day out whether it's on the nightly news or whether it's the funny money you're carrying in your wallet, it's all the big battle of evermore. It's it's the big clash that's been going on since the since the beginning of humankind. And if you don't understand salvation and you don't understand the power and the authority of the blood of Christ and you don't understand that it is necessary, mandatory, that by his stripes you be healed, then everything else you hear on this program, you're basically wasting your time. Doc, I'm going to give it to you. Um, <laughs> um, gee, I don't know what to say after that. Well, I, I went on a bit of a rant, but it was a sincere rant. <laughs> but it was a good one. It was a good one. 
Usually when you stop chasing rabbits, you're worse than Alice in Wonderland, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but God be praised, that's, that was fantastic. And um, let me just put my two cents in for what it's worth. If it wasn't for Doug and Joe having the intestinal fortitude and guts, literally, you know, to um, um, have this radio show on, and, you know, other such radio shows and TV shows and what have you. The, if it wasn't for them, um, most of this information would remain unknown. And they run a severe risk every single time they run a show like this because the enemies out there, the Illuminati and others, are always very carefully listening and watching shows like this to try to figure out a way... How do we stop them? How do we turn, you know, something that is made out of gold into a rust bucket? And this is what they do, among other things. And it does take a lot of intestinal fortitude and guts to keep a show like this going. If it wasn't for shows like this, I'm serious, folks. You would still be living in a world of absolute darkness where all you'd be doing is, gee, I wonder why this happened. I wonder why this happened. Well, if it wasn't for people like Doug and Joe and other people, you would still be absolutely clueless as to what's going on. And it takes folks like you to support shows like this. I'm running a marathon now. Because, folks, um, really, you want this type of um, show to continue, you've got to support it. I, I, You know, I don't even know what Joe and Doug... Um, situation may or may not be, quite honestly. Um, but I'll tell you right now, folks, you want to keep shows like this, then you better back it up. Because if you don't back it up, you don't deserve it. I know of so many good ministries and good ideas in the past that have been used that I saw growing like an incredible tree that was just reaching to the heavens. And then I found out the roots were corrupt and the tree died. I've seen a lot of good ideas, a lot of ministries, a lot of good shows that should have stayed, that should have blossomed, that should have grown, that should have been that eventual light, that hope, that blessed assurance you can only get from God. But because the roots were corrupt, the tree died. Now, I know Doug and Joe personally. That's why Joe still owes me a cup of coffee to this very day. That's another story. But the fact of the matter is, people, if you don't support Doug and Joe, um, if you don't get your friends involved in this, then you don't deserve any of it. You really don't. Because what good um, is any... <coughs> <laughs> what good is any of this doing if you're not sharing the information, if you're not telling the truth to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors? What good is any of it if it's going nowhere? You're the vehicles. You're the ones that are supposed to be out there and letting the people know the truth. We're trying to give it to you. We're trying to show you, unfortunately, the underbelly, the dark side of this stuff. We can grab it on 
for the rest of eternity. But if you're not taking the information and sharing it with others and trying to wake them up also, what good is any of it? Amen. Amen. You people have to be the vessels to carry this information through. You're not just listeners. You're responsible now. Share the information. Tell the people the truth. Become a warning symbol and a sign to the others. Let them know, I know what's going on and I want to share it with you. Dark, how much of this, um, you know, we've, in the last few weeks we've seen this increase in political violence and this uh, with your hyperactivity of the media and their hysteria. How much of of what we see on the news and whatnot Obviously, we get no, on any news platform, on cable news, any scriptural or Christian-based programming. But how much of the of the political sphere do you believe is to keep people distracted from more important things, their spirituality you, included? You were just reading my mind. I was just thinking of the word distraction. Let me ask you, the, let me ask you a question here, Joe. We've been down this road a dozen times easily by now. And we always know they put up a, dis- a smoke screen to distract us, don't they? Always, yeah. Now, all of a sudden, everyone wants to tear down a Confederate statue. Yay! Let's deny history. Yay! Let's say the Civil War never happened. Yay! Let's say, let's say we never did anything wrong and had slavery. Yay! While we're all shouting, yay, and glory to God about this. Isn't it interesting how we've all forgotten about Russia? No, it's very interesting. And we, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that was what mentioned happened? on our show today. It's oh, gone okay. away. What happened, yeah, what happened to the Russian connection to Donald Trump? It's on could hold it to poss- a, till a slow news cycle. Poss- well, it could have possibly be that the Democrats finally have to admit that there is nothing to this witch hunt after all, and that they were just using it as an excuse to block Donald Trump's um, attempt to create a genuine American agenda in favor of the common people. Yeah, you know, as I said, it's, it's on hold till the next news cycle, and they'll never admit they were wrong or they made it up. Uh, the the oh, best I've heard not- is, well... Uh, we haven't found the fire yet, but there's definitely smoke. That was as close as I've ever heard anybody coming to admitting they're wrong. I, I love the word they say, well, we haven't found such and such or this or this yet. I feel like saying, you know what? You will, um, you're going to be known as the dumbest person in existence, but you're not known to be that as of yet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like telling them that same thing. Every single idiot up there who's trying to say this about Donald Trump. Well, you are. You're not recognized as the biggest idiot yet. <laughs> you know, let's you know, let's turn that around. I am so sick and tired of those Democrats. And, and I don't mean all Democrats. Don't get me wrong, folks. I'm talking the ones in Congress. In, in um, um, and, well, actually in both houses, you know, um, who are just trying to stop a good thing from happening. You know what, folks? I believe <laughs> we have a genuine God-given right 
to live as good a life as we can as possible. And that includes self, or I mean, that includes certain ordained rights. One is called protection. I have a right to defend myself and my home. That goes even further. Since I'm living in America, and since I served at the end of the Vietnamese conflict, I also have a right to defend America. I love this land. I love the people of this land. I love the spirit of Americana. My goodness, folks, there has never been a greater concept in all of recorded history. I mean, a self-governing people to whom the government answers to. I don't answer to the government. The government answers to me. And yet, the Democrats want to reverse it. They want us to be totally dependent upon the government. You know, in my day and age, and up to this very day, I am not dependent, and I won't be dependent upon the government, because I hired them. They answer to me. That means I'm the boss. The person I answer to is not the government, it's to God. And certain inalienable rights come to me directly from God and not through the government. And because of this, I am defending in my own way, as best as I can, to establish to everyone certain understandings of right and wrong, good and evil, truths that are universal and that they come straight from an almighty creator who I know to be God. These things are ours by right. And it's those people, those corrupt individuals in Washington, D.C., who wants to strip us of all these rights that are not just mandated to us by the laws we've established, but they are also our right through Almighty God Himself. Amen. Amen. And Doc, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there. That is a wonderfully profound and true statement. The most dangerous Americans in this country are those who do not bow and kneel before government, but rather bow and kneel before God. Doc Marquis, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm gonna pass it to you, Joe. Yeah, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. Again, folks, go to Doc's website. It's a God Thing Productions 777.com. There you can pre-order his book, The Final Rapture. And I'm sure we'll have Doc on again to, to talk about the book and whatever else is on his mind here in the near future. But Doc, we wish you the best and thank you so much for, for coming on. It was a very informative two hours and I hope the audience got everything out of it that was offered in there. Thank you for having me, as always. I dearly appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, that'll do it for us tonight, folks. Another reminder real quick before we go. Don't forget the two new shows. You have the Doug Hagman Show and the Hagman Daily Show. Folks, go to HagmanReport.com, bookmark the site. You can get to the shows there, or you can listen live each and every day, the Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m. on Global Star Channel 3 and on Blog Talk Radio and the Hagman Daily Show also on Global Star Channel 3 and Blog Talk Radio 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern both shows are available for podcast 
And we want to thank each and everybody for tuning in, for listening, for sticking with us tonight. It was a great show. Peter Barry Chowka was with us in the first hour. Doc Marquis in the last two with John Robertson. And it was a fantastic show. We will see you tomorrow. Stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening.